This is the Movie Hall of Fame Class of 2005 for Thursday, May 7th, 2020. I'm Nico. That's Adam. Yep, I'm here. We host this podcast together. We try. We try our damnedest. Yeah, oh yeah. Still here. Still alive, I guess. Still here. I think I, think I can f- slowly feel myself dying. I'm at that point. I'm finally at the point where I'm dead and I'm decomposing. It's happening. I hate to break it to you, Adam. That point happened long ago. Oh, no. <laughs> long ago? I'm only 25. <laughs> long ago. What? I'm not sure when, but I know it happened already. <laughs> That's not that bad, is it? Ugh, shit. Now, no. you're a dead carcass. You're just a walking, talking dead carcass. Fuck. You're like Griffin Dunn from American Werewolf in London. <laughs> I was just watching that the other day. Of course you were. I watched that movie constantly. Yeah. It's like it's like RoboCop and American Werewolf in London are always on in my house. It's like Seinfeld reruns for you. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. You know, actually, Seinfeld reruns are like Seinfeld reruns for me. Got it. I watch Seinfeld for God's sakes. You know, I watched not- that special that you were at the other day. By the way. Oh uh, yeah. 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 I enjoyed it. Good. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was fun. I a lot of those bits I had seen other places because he performs. I, I think. The thing about Jerry is that he performs the same material over like 15 years and never changes it out. Um, yeah. So I like saw him perform some of that material on like, on like the Tonight Show and stuff and yeah. Letterman. So some of it was familiar to me already. But yeah, it looked uh, it looked like a fun time. I'm sure you had a blast. Well, like I know, like I was saying, it's one of those things where it's like even if uh, you're familiar with the stuff that he's he said before, it's just I don't know. It's just something about Jerry. It's fun to just sit in a room and have him talk to you. So comforting. Yeah. Like an exactly. old friend. Like an old but friend. You can't not enjoy it. I, I, I completely forgot. I got to remember to uh, uh, mention that to Abby because she's going to want to sit down and like watch it again. <laughs> I am fairly certain that you guys did not make the final cut. Shit. I'm fairly we were right certain. There. We were right there. Unless they like showed the back of your head at one point. <laughs> There's no fucking way we, we were seen. We're literally like all the way in the back on, on like the bottom row or something. Okay. Yeah. And we could see it very well, but like there's no way a camera got in there to see us. Right. As if we were that important. Yeah. It, one of the cool things about it, not to talk too much about Jerry Seinfeld's latest stand-up special on this movie podcast. Um, you can tell that it was filmed with a like rogue audience. Like th- this was not an audience that was prepped to go to a stand-up comedy special. Usually what they do is they give out those tickets for free and they try to select the best of the best. They don't give the audience drinks. They don't give them snacks because they want it to look like a professional TV production. Mm-hmm. But yeah, people were just walking in and out of the frame constantly. There were beers in hand. People really? were Yeah. People were screaming at the stage. Uh, it felt like just another night out at the Beacon Theater. It didn't feel like a rehearsed stand-up special, and I appreciated that quite a bit. Well, yeah, we all we were all surprised. I mean, they they basically told us beforehand. Yeah, guess what, guys? It's a Netflix special, and I think I, I must have been the only one in the crowd who was like, "Yeah, the camera setups here are very high <laughs> high profile. They're a little complicated. Why is that there? Why is there a crane? There's a techno dolly at the left side of Jerry." what the hell's going on right uh and then it made sense <laughs> why are there imax cameras in this in the beacon theater on broadway no i literally was like well he, he's a billionaire he likes his expensive shows you know it's is a- this gonna be shown in real d <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, they'll give us edited copies as soon as we're walking out of the theater because that's how Jerry rolls. Yeah, that's what I was expecting. High, high frame rate. They're doing the Ang Lee <laughs> thing, you know. <laughs> it was weird. No, I was. I I kept thinking like, this is is this being like filmed for a special? It's right. gotta be right. Yeah, and then I was hundred and ten percent right. Yeah, I've definitely never seen a stand up special quite like that. Not at least in recent memory. I guess in like the old Richard Pryor specials, there yeah. were sort of rambunctious audiences, but. Yeah, usually they're pretty polished these days and they know what they're getting into. So this was really cool. 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 Really cool to see. I guess I feel like I have to watch it just for fun. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was fun. Uh, do you want to talk about the movies of 2005? Unless you've seen anything else recently. Uh, no, I think I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much all set. I got my parents into Chernobyl, so that's cool. Okay, great. And they love it. So Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they, they do love seeing uh, bodies <laughs> do things that bodies are not supposed to do. The show is remarkably good. Yeah. <laughs> I re- rewatching. I'm like, holy shit. This is like the best thing I've ever seen in my life. I yeah. love that show. I'm watching a show on Hulu called normal people. Uh, okay. Which is directed by Lenny Abramson. At least the first six episodes are. And he of course did room and Frank, which I adore. I've not seen Frank yet. <laughs> oh man. You would love Frank so much. Uh, room. I, I I'm sort of, wishy-washy about I, I don't hate the movie i think it's fine but the back half is kind of slow um this show is based on a young adult novel about two irish kids that basically just have sex all the time and that's the show uh and it's uh like pretty incredible it's okay. really 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 good uh it is certainly not my thing i'm not even sure if it's your thing either it's probably not your thing um but like it's one of the most intimate television shows I've ever seen. It's one of like the most focused television shows I've ever seen. I don't think there's any television romance quite like it. I don't think there's ever been a romance like it. I don't think there ever will be a romance like it. It's incredibly in your face and raw and real and heartbreaking and uh, tender. And uh, yeah, I, I would recommend it to everyone, even though I know most people it's not their bag. But I didn't think it was my bag either, and I was blown away by it. So okay, yeah, yeah um, I'm getting very tired of shows surrounding a bunch of people boning. <laughs> it's just every single show. It's I'm just I'm. It's boring. <laughs> this I mean, is not what, too hot to handle. Let me be. No, clear. I don't. I don't even mean that. Like, <laughs> like just everything, every single show. It's just like how our generation can't like keep it in our pants. And that's, that, that's it. It's, I don't know. I'm not, that's not really the theme of the show. <laughs> I get it. I understand There's a that. little more to it, I think, but it is, it is a flavor. It is an element that is always there. And it's just like, could you do something a little more interesting? I, I, I don't know. I know that's, everything. That's I, cinema though, Adam. I, I know cinema. everything I need to know about intimacy in movies now. Are you sure? Unless you want to have like Ryan Gosling having sex with holograms. That's cool. Right. I'm fine with that. Right. That, that is your <laughs> pornography. Yes, it is. I will say this show is very steamy. Very, okay. very steamy. All yeah. right, all right. It's, it's pretty explicit and those scenes go on for a while. But I, I've really never seen anything like it. It's pretty incredible. All right. I'm just saying, it's like, ooh, we got a great idea. Let's have the leads have nothing but sex the entire time. Well, that's time. what kids do. That's not all that kids do. <laughs> well, it's what they do when they, like, figure out what sex is. It's not the most interesting thing about kids, though. Just watch the show. Just, watch, just watch the show, okay? Because 
<laughs> You're not giving it a fair shake. <laughs> We're already arguing. Okay, right. I'll, I'll I'll watch it. And I'll love it like Mad Men. That being said, season five of Mad Men ain't is not good. What? Not, not good. What? Pretty bad. Season four. Season five. Season four was incredible. Season every basically every season uh, one through four was pretty much incredible. The suitcase season, is in what season? Oh. I don't know. Maybe I haven't gotten to that yet. The suitcases where Don and Peggy um, sort of just hang out in the office for a night. Season four. You've seen that episode? Yes. Okay. Uh, okay. That was right. great. I thought it was in season five for some reason. No, I'm, I'm on the season where he's married to uh, Megan. What's yes. her name? Megan. Right. And he's, uh, uh, she's, he, he drove away from her in that like, like, like little mall. Oh, and Joe, Joan is broken up with her army boyfriend. And I was like, what is going oh, on? Oh no. Yeah. You're at where they go to the, the, uh, the inn, right? The diner, the Howard yeah. Johnson's. Yeah. That's a great episode where they have like the multiple timelines and they tell it out of order. It's awesome. It's weird. It's like a, it again, I, I don't do well with things that are juggling 25 tones and I'm just like, I don't know uh, how to feel in a given scene. It just wasn't working, and yeah. So well, later, he, Mad Men definitely does attempt that. Yeah, because I, I like and even because I've been watching it with Abby, of course, and we're just like, what is happening? Like, did we miss an episode? And it's like, no, they're just being funny about it. So yeah, season five, I'm not jiving with all that much, but okay, I don't know, you're gonna hate season six then. Oh no, because <laughs> I I actually think season five is pretty remarkable. I think it's one of the really? best seasons of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I think season six definitely takes a, a nosedive. Uh, and then season seven, it recovers. Cool. Um, I'm excited for that. But yeah, I mean, it. it uh, did you get to the episode, the Beatles episode yet? Rolling Stones? I got to that. No, where they want to go, where where uh, Don's daughter wants tickets to go see the Beatles. No, I haven't seen okay. that yet. All right. Man, I fucking love that show. I'm t- yeah, I, it's, that's it's, too bad that you don't like season five. Yeah, it's not working yet. No, it's not like terrible. I'm just like, what is this? You know, I think your just... mileage may vary on Megan too. That's part of it. <laughs> uh, well, my mileage varies on on a, a couple characters. That it kind of goes in and out. It's interesting. Like I will go from like loving a character to hating them to back and forth. Uh, and I don't know. Maybe that's the point. Do you um, love Pete yet? <laughs> no, dude. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. But fuck Pete Campbell. <laughs> Jesus Christ, what a piece of shit. You have a lot of shades of Pete Campbell in you. I don't know if you know. Oh, that. I have shades of Pete yeah, Campbell? Yeah, you do. I'm going to have to actually, I, what, physically? Do I kind of yeah. look like him? I'll let you interpret that for yourself. What have I done that is even remarkably like Pete Campbell? Yeah, you got some Pete in you. I'm not a slimy weasel of a person, regardless of what you think. I don't care what you say. That is the funniest thing you've ever said on a podcast. Oh, fuck you. That is the funniest <laughs> thing you've ever said. I thought you'd get a kick out of that. Let's talk about the, the class of 2005 here. Sure. Uh, six movies uh, nominated. Again, their 40-year-old virgin, History of Violence, Sin City, Match Point, The Descent, and Brokeback Mountain. Somehow, I, I feel like... These are the only six we could have nominated, but also the six worst choices. This is what I don't understand, because I think these are all like really good movies, like across the board. They're all good. And I don't know if I would have nominated anything else. I mean, I said this on the last podcast. I think 2005 is just a really weak year. Um, Mm. And I think the early 2000s in general were a pretty weak period of filmmaking. It could be the weakest period of filmmaking we've ever seen since like the 30s or 40s. Um, (laughs) So, okay. Yeah, I I don't know, man. Um, 
I went back and forth on a lot of these, not because I feel strongly about a number of them, but because I'm so indifferent to a bunch of them. I feel like the more indifferent I am to a year, the harder it is for me to nominate six movies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess so. Like, I like a lot of these movies. I'm not as so indifferent towards some of them. Although there's at least one, I believe, on the list that I am kind of indifferent towards that. Like, I, I don't dislike any of these movies. Spoiler, but like, yeah, like there's, I, I I don't know. I thought it was pretty clear cut. There's even some that I would have liked to have nominated. So, you know. Okay. Okay. Here Here's one of the problems that we're having, I think. And that we've what? had, frankly, for the past year. Tell me if you agree or not. Um, the nature of this podcast makes it so, like, we hate on movies that we shouldn't have to hate on. Yes. Because this this podcast is about hierarchy we often rank things we nominate things we induct one um, which is stupid by the yeah. way yeah it's dumb well, i mean it, it makes for a fun podcast material but like yeah. i don't think that it makes always for great conversation about film do you know what i <laughs> depends. mean depends yeah it, well again it depends entirely on the types of films i think that we nominate or if we discover something like again the godzilla pod was a good idea surprisingly i think yeah well, the thing about the Godzilla pod, although I didn't love a lot of the Godzilla movies, is that I was able to approach it with sort of a remove. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't feel too strongly about one movie over the other, and I just sort of sat back and let the movies do the talking for themselves. Uh, we've reduced filmmaking to a you know uh, uh, to to a sports hall of fame. Like we've reduced it yeah. to this structure where one movie has to be better than the other in order to get inducted and uh, we lose a lot of the nuance well that, that that's the thing is that uh, but the other problem is that a lot of times the obvious one is the one that gets in and it's like i i back up on that a lot too because i generally will come at that with a bit of hostility in the sense that i don't always believe that the quote-unquote obvious one should necessarily get in well yeah we that, always don't think that it's the best yeah yeah the, like there are plenty of movies like even if it doesn't jive with a genre that we like i'm just like i just think this is the best movie like right. when we did you know 1987 i had very strong opinions about predator right you know i, I still think that that was the best movie of that and year. i had very strong feelings on broadcast news by the way yeah but that was <laughs> that's we run into things like that but it's very obvious like you would go with broadcast news and i would go with predator <laughs> right. it's like you couldn't could not be more obvious if you tried <laughs> yeah uh yeah, I just think like, you know, we get into arguments sometimes because if you recommended some of these movies to me separate and apart from this podcast, I'm sure I would enjoy them a lot more. You know, if I can just watch them in a bubble, let's take the movie for what it is. Did I enjoy it? Did I not enjoy it? Yeah. But so you, in this, you know, in this scenario, what I have to do is weigh these movies against the movies that were not nominated. Yeah. And so now I knock the movies that are nominated because I feel like other movies are more deserving. Well, that, yeah, that's what I was going to say. You have the other movies in mind. You can't just sit and appreciate them as they are. Right. Which, yes. Which I try not to do. I, 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 again, which is why, you know, I, 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 I know sometimes we can't help it, but every once in a while things like squeeze through the cracks, you know? I mean, I, 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 I you know, Francis Ha was a good example of that where I just stopped everything and just loved the movie for everything that it was. Sure. And I did but, that with Last Picture Show. Yeah, exactly. So it ha- it's cool to discover stuff like that, but I do also agree this is not the best way to be watching movies right if right. they're new we, we get lucky every once in a while and we we pick a year where we've seen every single movie sure but you know that's that's you know 
but sometimes it, it even, the, even then though sometimes we get into childish bickering yeah you know, because well, we're so attached to some of the movies and we, you know we we feel the need to defend it blade runner versus et was a perfect example yeah which in all honesty though like, like the ultimate conclusion is pretty much what should have happened to begin with when you think about it if you're if you're to honestly disagree with the fact honestly the thing should have been put in there along with those other two at the end of the day, like all three of those movies are just as deserving as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Well, that's all, all that being said, yeah. I will try my best to not devolve into childish bickering today. I will do my best, but I just can't help but think that this is a very weak year. And I think you nominated some like mediocre to bad movies. Uh, well, cause Maybe I just, ba- I bad is bad is too strong, but mediocre. I think is certainly fair. <laughs> I don't think there are any bad movies on this list actually. Okay. I don't think there's a single one. There's a few great ones, actually. But my question is, what would you have nominated instead? Because I'll tell you. I have some honorable mentions. I'll, I'll tell you which I agree with. Okay. Um, three movies we took out because we've talked about them on other podcasts. And uh, those are Batman Begins, Squid and the Whale, and Grizzly Man. Grizzly Man we did on Why Is This a Thing. Uh, Squid and the Whale we did as part of Bombach. I think Squid and the Whale is the best movie of the year. I've said mm-hmm. that many times. I adore that movie. Um, I think it's by far and away a top six movie. Um, yes, and it, I think you can make the argument for Batman Begins as well, but I understand why we left them off. But see, here's the thing. Even if they had been on, I would not have petitioned for those over like a couple other ones on here. Okay. Fair yeah. enough. Certainly uh, not. Yeah. Keep going. Two Spielberg movies, Munich and War of the Worlds. I'm not Munich crazy about the, either of them. Munich's the one I would have nominated because I love that movie. I acknowledge Munich as a very good movie. I just think that it's a downer. Who cares if it's a downer? Why do you care so much about it being a downer? It doesn't matter. Get over it. It's great. Yeah, it's just has no rewatchability. And uh, <laughs> I did. I disagree. I've seen that movie a couple times. Have you? Yeah, it's awesome. It's just an awesome movie. Oh, that movie's such a downer, dude. It's upsetting. Yeah, I agree. Very upsetting. It's a little upsetting, but that's what's cool about it. That's why I, I'm upset we didn't nominate it because in the realm of Spielberg movies, it's actually a much more interesting conversation because I don't think he's ever been that bleak ever in his entire career. Yeah, probably not. Uh, Walk the Line, I think you can make a clear argument for. You disagree. For the winner? For at I, least nomination, yeah. Uh, I suppose it doesn't even remotely come close as much as i love that movie okay i think it's like the best music biopic perhaps ever and i think that's uh, gonna count for something it's not the best in terms of a film though as a film i mean it's it does the best at checking off all the boxes you know it's okay. great it's not that not even close dude all right uh the new world have you ever seen the new world? Oh, that's the Terrence Malick one where he ruined his relationship with Christopher Plummer. Right. Yeah. I haven't seen that one. I actually adore that movie. Oh, I yeah. really, really like it. And you know what? I probably should have used this as an, uh, as an opportunity to get it on, uh, and make you watch it because like, I'm not the biggest Terrence Malick fan in the world, but that thing is pretty epic and pretty awesome. It seems like something I wouldn't actually not like though. That you would like or that you would not like? Would not like from everything I've seen from it. Maybe. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Not the biggest Shane Black fan. I know you like that movie. And I actually like that movie too. I think it's one of his better movies. But uh, I think it's his best movie by a mile. (laughs) 
Yeah, she might be right about that. It's not even close. I don't. I don't. What do you mean? Yeah, good <laughs> what's point. better than kiss, good? Good point. What's better than Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? Yeah, I'm thinking back. Yeah, no, it is actually. You know what? It is his best movie. It's the it's Robert Downey Jr.'s favorite movie that he's been in. Fun fact. Yeah, well, Robert Downey Jr. hasn't been in a movie in about twenty years. That's the thing about <laughs> so what? What's your point? He's been in also a shit ton of movies. Don't no, he's forget. Been, nah, he's been in like uh, video games, but I, I wouldn't really consider those movies. <laughs> You consider Doolittle a movie? <laughs> Doolittle just came out, dude. It just came out. What is your point? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, th- those I think are my big ones. You don't think any of them should have got on, though? No, I think Munich should have been uh, in a conversation. And I also think Kiss Kiss Bang Bang should have, because those are great movies. Okay. And they're better than, I don't know, at least two movies that we nominated. Maybe but I think those two are different for you and I. <laughs> this is, I don't think it's that this is a bad year. Cause I, I was looking back and I was like, no, I like this year. I just think you are indifferent towards these, these movies. I like a lot of these movies. Memories of a murder came out that year. What? Yeah. Oh shit. You fucked up, bro. I did not realize. Memories of a murder. Bong Joon Ho, 2005. That not only would have been my first nomination, that would have been the one I would have petitioned to get in. Well, too late. Save it for well, the bong pod. Yeah, I was going to say, we got a bong pod because that movie's a fucking masterpiece. Save it for the bong pod. Jesus All right. Christ. Uh, no. Capote came out that year. Oh, what a snoozer. I don't mind. Yeah, it's a great performance, but who the fuck cares? Good Night and Good Luck <laughs> is a very good movie. George Clooney directs. I've not seen it. I saw it in high school, and I really enjoyed it in high school. It's it's, it's very, very good. Um, Pride and Prejudice, I've never seen, but that is thought of as one of the better uh, sort of period piece uh, Jane Austen adaptations. Jane Austen wrote Pride and Prejudice, right? I think so. Okay. Not my genre, but I'm pretty sure. It's probably fine. Hustle and Flow came out that year. Broken Flowers, Bill Murray. Not seen Broken Flowers. Not bad. Uh, Wallace and Gromit Curse the Were Rabbit, I will not say. That's great. King That's Kong. Great. Peter Jackson's King Kong. I was actually watching it yesterday. It was on TV. Yeah. You need <laughs> to find something else to watch. What? You need to stop rewatching the same mediocre 2000 movie. It was just on. I wasn't like, oh, I feel like watching King Kong. I was just like, oh, King Kong. Look at that. Okay. Cinderella Man, I like quite a bit just because of Paul Giamatti. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> All Giamatti for me. Yeah, I know. That's the that's the thing. What I think you he should do? have won Best Supporting Actor that year. He's so good. What what ends up happening is that we nominate a movie based off of one performance sometimes. Sometimes that's enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Star not Wars usually re- not usually for me. I, you do this a lot and I'm like, "What? Like what's great about that?" I oh, do Scarlett it, I Johansson. Do oh, okay. Oh, stop it. I'm, we'll get there. Stop <laughs> it right now. <laughs> Star Wars Revenge of the Sith came out that year, which is uh, like the fourth best Star Wars movie. And Wedding Crashers. I've not seen Wedding Crashers. You haven't seen Wedding Crashers? No. Nope. Yeah, you can probably keep going in life. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> no interest. <laughs> yeah, it's cool, I guess. Yeah, okay. Uh, highest grossing movie of that year. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, followed by sense. Star Wars Revenge of the Sith, Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Oh, my wow. God, that movie. War of the Worlds at number four and King Kong at number five. 
Your nominees for Best Picture, Brokeback Mountain, Capote, Good Night and Good Luck, Munich, and Crash with a controversial win in the Best Picture category. Why? Because it sucks? Yeah, I think that's as good a reason as any. Bad movie. Bad movie! Like, I, I'm not I'm not even going to dance around it. I'm not, I'm not even going to say it's mediocre. That is a bad, bad, dishonest piece of shit movie. It's a bad movie with really sketchy racial politics and uh, and yeah, just corny as all hell. Might be the most pandering thing I think I've ever seen in it's, my life. Yes, the, yes, exactly. You know what? That movie was made to win an Oscar and the fact that the Oscars rewarded it is just gross. I hate it. I hate that. I remember watching it in, in class freshman year and even then I knew, whoa, that was bad. Yep. I was young and I'm like, yeah, that was bullshit. And it's so weird because Ang Lee wins Best Director, but they don't give him yeah. Best Picture. It's just very, very strange. I had no idea that he won Best Director for Brokeback Man. Ang Lee has two Best Director wins and not a single Best Picture win. And yeah, it's kind of weird. It's strange. It's, it's actually him and Coron have a similar problem. In fact, that, that was a Jeopardy question a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. That was funny. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. So, yeah. Ang Lee wins for Brokeback Mountain there. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman wins for Capote, Best Actor. I think that's probably right. Reese Witherspoon wins Best Actress for Walk the Line. That's a cool win. I like that one. I agree. That is a cool I win. I love her in that movie. Yeah. She's tremendous in that movie. Um, she actually might be better than him in that movie. Yep. She's really good. Uh, Clooney wins Best Supporting Actor for Syriana. And Rachel Weisz wins Best Supporting Actress for The Constant Gardener. thing about Clooney is that you could have just given it to him five other times. Is that his only win? Yeah, it's just strange. It's the same thing that happened to Leo. They gave it to Leo for like his least interesting performance. And now they feel no need to give him another one. Thing is, though, I mean, Clooney does Clooney in every movie, though. So I'm not... I'm not like blown away by Clooney usually ever, but he's just good at like that. And at right. least he's fine presence, I suppose. But I I, he never breaks out he of could that. Have, he could have made a case for the descendants. I Okay. He's yeah. good in that movie. He's actually really good in that movie. Um, And the National Film Registry only inducted one movie from 2005. It is actually the National Film Registry's most recent film. Yep. And that film is Brokeback Mountain. Mm-hmm. That I did know. Here we go. 40-Year-Old Virgin is first. Okay. <laughs> Written and directed by Judd Apatow, starring Steve Carell, Catherine Keener, Paul Rudd, Romney Malko, Seth Rogen, and Jane Lynch. A few years back, the New York Times ranked the top 25 movies of the 2000s so far. 40-Year-Old Virgin came in at number 25 on that list. Goaded by his buddies, a nerdy guy who's never done the deed only finds the pressure mounting when he meets a single mother. Yep. Uh, I nominated this one, and the reason why is, first of all, I think it kicked off a wave of buddy bro comedies. Um, And I guess that's not for the best. There have been a lot of shitty bro comedies over the years. Uh, It is the first Judd Apatow movie. It is the Judd yep. Apatow movie that we think of first when we hear Judd Apatow. And it is also the star making role for Steve Carell. He had been doing the daily show for a while. He was, uh, I guess in Bruce almighty at the time he was in Anchorman. He was, you know, a, a veteran comic actor for many years did this sketch 
when he was a part of Second City and uh, used this character as part of improv sketches over the years. And mm-hmm. he finally gets uh, the lead in this movie and uh, it's his idea. He co-wrote the thing with Judd Apatow. He also starts doing The Office around the same time. And uh, here he is now, Steve Carell, one of the biggest, I think, just actors, period, in the world. So I think it's like a very important movie for a number of people's careers. And I also think that it's a very important movie for the genre. And I would argue that its imitators have taken the wrong lessons from 40-Year-Old Virgin. What say you? I have like nothing to say about this movie. Oh, come on. Be nice. And I, yeah. I, what, what, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's good. <laughs> What do you want me to say about it? Of you know, I, I I appreciate the careers it kicked off, but then again, I also don't appreciate what came of it in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. I mean, it ultimately builds to the Hangover. Honestly, it does. It does. Um, which started a whole a whole new wave of things. Which it's not exactly a great legacy in that sense, but I mean, the movie's very very funny. I mean, I like it for that. Um, well, that's as good a reason as any to like it. <laughs> I guess it's what is there to talk about with this movie? You don't acknowledge that it was sort of an important comedy for like the history of American comedy. You don't see it as that. I, I, uh, it's whatever. <laughs> really? It's fine. It's a how many times have you seen movie. this movie? Once. Once. You've seen 40-Year-Old Virgin once. Mm-hmm. You were watching King Kong on TV the other day, and you've seen 40-Year-Old Virgin once? You don't flip it on when it's I'd on TV? Wa- I'd rather watch King Kong. <laughs> oh, stop it! Uh, dude, yeah, like, what is there to talk about with this movie? It's fine. It's, it's, it's perfectly fine. No, I think it's more than fine. I actually think it's one of the best comedies of the 2000s. I really do. I really... I seriously do. I, like I, I find... I... I like Knocked Up and Anchorman a lot more. I like Anchorman I the like most it, yes. out of well, any of the two that. Sure. An- Anchorman's course. the best. But. And Anchorman will be nominated when we get an opportunity to talk about it. But I think that this is in the conversation. And I also think it that it kicked off a wave of bad imitators who saw the movie, thought, oh, here's Seth Rogen and Paul Rudd calling each other gay for liking Coldplay. Let's make a yeah. a bunch of broy movies about guys that are bad with women. And I think that they didn't take the lessons of 40-year-old virgin to heart because this movie has a lot to say about masculinity and about immature bros that are unable to grow up and about sex and about relationships and about love. Um and I think that like it's got a ton of heart and there's a lot to say underneath the surface and like The Hangover doesn't have a lot to say underneath its surface. <laughs> and uh you know i i i think that it's unfair to blame 40 year old virgin for the sins of the movies that came after it i don't know i've never been impressed by those things like i think what um i guess judd apatow was going for like made more sense to me and knocked up okay i like knocked up a lot more than this movie i like them both i like this one yeah that like knocked up just spoke to me more it made more sense it was a little more grounded honestly um i i don't know i think a lot of the silliness of this movie takes away from what i would otherwise look at as some interesting like 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 family themes or or friendship themes just social themes in general to as to what it means like you said to be a man but i don't know a lot of the the style of comedy doesn't 
invite me to think about it any harder than just, oh, it's nice that it's there. You know, you think it's just immature raunchiness. It's hard for me to break that. I don't know. And it is. I, I watch this movie and unlike in the hangover where it's like, oh, yeah, I would like to spend a weekend with these dudes in Vegas. I don't find these characters to be appealing in any way, shape or form. Like, I don't know why any woman would want to date them or why any man would want to hang out with them. And I think like that's an important distinction between this and other bro comedies of its kind is you pity these people and you kind of feel bad for them and you acknowledge that they have no idea how to treat talk or uh, date women. And that's not just including the Steve Carell virgin character. In fact, Paul Rudd and Romney Malco and Seth Rogen may have less of an understanding of how women work. Um, and yeah. so I, I do think the whole time, like the movie is passing judgment on their lifestyle and it is advocating for a more mature outlook on the world. And it's advocating for like the maturity of women. And I think like that's one of the problems of the last 20 years in comedy is that yeah. we started this like broy hyper masculinity phase and the women in those movies were portrayed as mature and uh, and emotionally sound and smarter than the guys. Catherine Keener is the most mature character in the movie here. And rather than run with that, studios insisted on making a wave of immature female movies. Yeah. And they made Bridesmaids and they made Girls Trip. And like that was supposed to be like uh like some sort of feminist statement Mm -hmm. oh the guys can be raunchy and talk about their dicks so i guess women can talk about vaginas on screen and it's just (laughs) as funny when really like no like this is a negative quality about most men and women should not aspire to it do you know what i mean (laughs) i understand that like i'm not saying it's not there there's just something about the execution here i suppose it just it's 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 not like I don't think this is a bad movie at all, but I, I again like it's one of those things where it's like I watch it, I was like, oh, that was really funny, and it's nice that it it, it satirized the the way these men usually are cool, but I don't really leave the theater with much of an impression aside from that. I guess I I'm I don't know I don't know. <laughs> I I'm just surprised that you haven't spent as much time with this movie as I have because I've just seen it a bunch of times. I put it on whenever it's on and. I, yeah, I, I I find it hilarious, man. And that waxing scene is, you know, an iconic scene. It seems like that, though. It's like it's oh yeah, it's it's at at, at the core, it is still this kind of movie. And it's like all right, well, fine. It's, it's I think there's more commentary than you're giving it credit for. I'm not saying there's not commentary, but like the 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 depth of the commentary, it's not like you know you can you can comment on something you know but you like i don't know the movie feels like it's doing it quite broadly it's not nearly as interesting i mean to its credit with a movie like this i don't expect it to be as like thought provoking as a fucking like like charlie kaufman movie <laughs> but <laughs> at the same time it's just like because of its style i i don't I'm, i i never felt invited to go back and like really like like sit with those themes and have them work on me and maybe in the way that they worked on you. I don't know. Okay. Well, let's agree to disagree on that. Then. It's good. That's a good movie, but like I don't have much to say about it other than the fact that it's a good comedy. Okay. I think there's a little more underneath the surface than, than you're giving it credit for, but you know what? We may come to blows 
about another movie for that very reason later in this podcast. We'll see. Okay. Okay. There's a little tease for you. Okay. Next is The History of Violence. Directed by David Cronenberg. Based on a graphic novel. Two movies on this list, by the way, based on graphic novels. Starring Viggo Mortensen, Maria Bello, William Hurt, and Ed Harris. William Hurt, incidentally, nominated for Best Supporting Actor for this movie. Despite less than, I think, five minutes of screen time. He's in very little of this movie. He's also nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. A mild-mannered man becomes a local hero through an act of violence which sets off repercussions that will shake his family to its very core in this action thriller. Incidentally, it has the distinction of being the last major Hollywood movie to be released in the VHS format. Ah. So there's a little historical context for you. As I ask you, and I've been asking this question for a while, uh, what is so remarkable about this movie? Please explain. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) uh, I just, uh, I mean, I really like uh, like everyone, everybody in the movie. I like how it starts out as kind of like uh, like this quirky, not really quirky, but unconventional family drama that just becomes a, like a crime caper. It's a kind of movie that sort of sneaks up on me, at least when I first saw it. Um, it's the I, I had a lot of trouble figuring out what the movie was going to be when I first saw it and in discovering it as it pressed on I found it quite entertaining it's not like the again it's not necessarily the best movie of the year I would say but it's so weird and different and it's unlike anything I had seen at the time and uh, I just think David Cronenberg is kind of firing on all cylinders in this movie you think so yeah yeah, I do. Okay. I really like everything on it from a technical standpoint. And I mean, I just love, uh, again, this has this is one of those movies that we actually studied this one in a film class once. And we just talked about like the role of uh, like, like the, the husband character and his role in the family and how toxic that can be if it, you know, be, be becomes so uh, uh, patriarchal and stuff like that. Of course, you know, colleges are going to teach that lesson until (laughs) they die (laughs) but it's definitely there and it's interesting and again like like most Cronenberg films he has a great uh uh, grasp on the craft to illustrate those themes even though they're not necessarily um uh subtle (laughs) they're they're still fun to witness in this very pulpy version of this crime caper family drama that is actually based off of a graphic novel so it makes sense mm-hmm. uh and one of the better adaptations of a graphic novel i think i've ever seen so yeah this this one's a ton yeah. of fun and that's 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 what i got <laughs> i'm not like 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 over the moon excited to talk about this movie but like of the nominees this was one of the better ones yeah it's certainly uh pulpy and it's a simple story and actually that's one of the things that i appreciate about it um there's not much happening in terms of plot even though there are several twists that occur within the movie i i do think yeah it works better on a first viewing um because when you don't know when the movie's going it it feels a lot more alive and uncertain um the reveal of this movie is really cool i think it worked on me when i first saw it um I I just sort of see it as like a standard thriller from the early 2000s and like it's solid and Viggo's good in it. William Hurt is awesome in it for that one scene and it's, you know, a worthy Oscar nomination even though it's a one scene nomination. Uh, And Ed Harris is always fun and I remember the sex scenes being quite explicit 
Yep. And I appreciate that, man. I like an explicit sex scene. And, uh, you know, I think that's like an interesting way to explore marriage fundamentally. And I think like those scenes are cool and it works as a character study. Yeah, but I agree. You know, I don't think it's among Cronenberg's best movies. Not by a long shot. I wouldn't say so either. And I think this is the type of thing you get out of a director late in his career. Uh, You get stuff that is not as inspired behind the camera, but is kind of thoughtful and uh, character driven. And yeah, I don't know. I like the first scene. I like the single take at the motel. Yeah, me too. That's fine. No, that's a great way to introduce you to the movie. Every scene where Viggo Mortensen slowly reveals who he actually is, is great. I think the storytelling in here is pretty, pretty wonderful and how they lay out the pieces. I, I, I quite enjoy it. I, again, to, I, to your point, I've only seen it once. So maybe on repeat viewing, I wouldn't be nearly as compelled by it, but I just remember first seeing it and being like, yo, this one's fucking awesome. Mm. Like I said, it's not necessarily the level of like, what the fuckery that, you know, the fly or uh, <laughs> Videodrome is for example. Right, sure. Uh, we need to talk Videodrome by the way. Okay. Um, but, uh, again, like I, I thought it was interesting to see a director still kind of keep up this level of craftsmanship because honestly, someone like David Cronenberg is not necessarily the kind of director I would think carrying on like a prosperous career. I mean, a lot of filmmakers like him that came from like those sort of B movie, uh, aesthetics or genres, they, I don't know. They they actually get lazier and and even less inspired, and they just start making things for like a cheap buck. And right. you see that happen with like the John Landis's of the world. Yeah, it, it is very rare that someone like Cronenberg has a career outside of the eighties. No one, no one who makes makes Videodrome or The Fly should carry on to the two thousands. It's just sure. we don't have. It, they're too bleak and cynical. We don't really have a place for them here. So or make a movie like this, for that matter. Yeah, I agree. And this is not like a uppity movie. Like the ending implies like like some you know a, a pretty sad and depressing future for these characters. Even yeah. though they're not dead, it's just like the state that they're in right. is something that they have to contend with. And it's really upsetting that when you kind of think about that and apply it to contemporary society and how that must feel for everybody else. So mm-hmm. it definitely has something to say. It's I, I agree. It's not necessarily like his best movie, but. Uh, for an older Cronenberg, this is, you know, quite good. Although apparently Maps to the Stars is fucking trippy. Yeah, I need to see Maps to the Stars. I'm actually really interested in, in yeah, that movie. Me too. Yeah, uh, it certainly has a lot to say. It, it has something to say about identity. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I don't want to spoil the movie too much, but it's implied that the main character has a bit of split personality. Um, and, and I like where they went with that. I like that uh, Vigo's alias if that's even the word or his former self is what ultimately saves his current self and how you know it's uh impossible to escape the past and also it's important to embrace the past in order to survive Um, yeah because well because it asks those questions as to what what is more valuable like you could question the morality of one part of yourself but if if it's keeping you going is that really a bad thing i mean the thing is that his character just doesn't survive if he buries his former self completely he he needs his former self in order to protect his family even though his former self is what got his family into trouble to begin with so yeah it it does ask some pretty interesting questions i do think like as a graphic novel adaptation and we're going to talk about another one in a second uh it just doesn't look like a graphic novel in any way it just doesn't have any elements of that and i i do I, I don't know this for a fact, but I suspect that the 
graphic novel is a lot more visually intriguing than this movie. I don't think like there's a ton visually going on here. Well, graphic novels aren't always like that. I mean, we think of comic books, we think of like Watchmen or The Walking Dead or even something like Sin City, which we'll talk about. But uh, they're not universally like like sometimes they do abide by the rules of like a novel mm-hmm. and look and feel like the way you would imagine a novel. Like in essence, you could do a graphic novel on To Kill a Mockingbird if you really wanted to, which would be not exciting. But <laughs> if you wanted to do that, go ahead. Uh, and it, my impression is that's similar to what they were doing here. It's similar. Like Road to Perdition is a very uh, close case as well. Yeah, but that's like, like a pretty visually striking movie. Not in the way that like Watchmen is visually striking, though. Not yeah. the way that you generally think of a graphic novel to be visually striking. But even like, like the Walking Dead TV show borrows a lot of the frames from the graphic novel and they work quite nicely. I, a lot of the stuff here, like there's a version of this movie that's a much more atmospheric Western. Yeah. And, and this one just sort of feels like a, you know, pretty mundane day in the life story set in a random ass town. Yeah. It doesn't pop the same way that those ones do. But at the same time, I think it's interesting that they were able to adapt it in this way. And I don't know, maybe you would look at that graphic novel adaptation if it was popular and say, hey, it's too much. Yeah, maybe. You never know. Maybe. I don't think this is a bad movie. I think it's a fine movie. Um, but I think that its inclusion on this list proves how weak 2005 is. <laughs> well, we, <laughs> I, we have other movies. <laughs> Also, yeah, Munich is better than the previous two movies. I'm just going to keep saying that. Munich is better than... I well, love you could have nominated it, asshole. You're the one that nominated History of Violence. Yeah. yeah. I thought you would. <laughs> well, don't put this on me. I'm putting it on you. You don't, don't put this on me, man. You had an opportunity. I enjoy 40-Year-Old Virgin more than Munich. I can say that safely. I like that movie more. It's too bad because Munich is much better. Want to talk about Sin City next? Yeah. Man, this is going to get real. Man. This is going to get really ugly for us. (laughs) This is going to get really bad. You don't like Sin City? Buckle in, listeners. Buckle in. Uh, Directed by Frank Miller, Robert Rodriguez, and special guest director, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. (laughs) Who I did not realize directed the scene in the car with Benicio Del Toro and the gun in his head. Yes. Uh, and the reason why I read this after is because Rodriguez wanted to convince Tarantino to stop shooting on film and to start shooting digitally. So he that brought him work. in. He brought him in. He's like, hey, Quentin, how would you try out these digital cameras for a scene? See how you like it. And he was like, yeah, fuck this. I'm going to go make uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in Technicolor. <laughs> Uh, the movie stars Bruce Willis, Clive Owen, Mickey Rourke, Benicio Del Toro, Jessica Alba, and Elijah Wood. A movie that explores the dark and miserable town, Basin City, Basin City, and tells the story of three different people all caught up in violent corruption. Adam Hall, I'm going to say this as nicely as I possibly can. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you show that you have the movie taste of a 10-year-old. <laughs> sometimes that happens really every once in a while a 10 year old boy comes out of this uh-huh. of this grown-ass man and you don't always have immature movie taste very often you have very mature thoughts on movies but when you rave about a movie like sin city as much as i enjoy it uh, middle school you was showing okay and i'll say this as impolitely as i can <laughs> Uh, you often have the movie taste of a 90 year old man. And I think that's much worse. (laughs) 
I think that's much, much worse. <laughs> I would rather have the 10-year-old's mindset on awesome movies than a 90-year-old man sitting back and watching fucking Woody Allen movies till I die in my bed. So there it is. <laughs> Fair enough. Yep. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Look, man. If I was 10, yeah, this movie would look pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> and yeah, I did like, not all, see this all, movie when I was 10. Okay? All, the na- all the naked ladies would be really cool. Like I like you boobs. Hip, you hypocrite. I like We're, boobs. Boobs are yeah. fun. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm with you, man. That's all. That's all well and good. Uh, but this movie has fuck all to say about anything. This has nothing to say about anything. And it's, you know, a graphic novel brought to screen and it's all about style. There is no substance whatsoever, as is the case with most Robert Rodriguez movies. I'm not using hyperbole here. This is a childish exercise in violence and sex and and comic books. That's what this is. Nothing to say about anything. You nominated Match Point. (laughs) How dare you? We'll get to that. Stop but like you nominated match point, Stop dude. It. Stop it. <laughs> we just had our Woody Allen pot. How are you not acutely aware of what are going to be my criticisms? Um, who gives a shit? <laughs> who gives a flying fuck, man? The movie's awesome. I don't care. I don't know. I, I, I have no issue with that. The movie is like really, really well made. It could be Robert Rodriguez's best movie. It is not Robert Rodriguez's best movie. Uh... I think you could make a case for To Dust Till Dawn. No. I honestly think so. I th- no. I, yes. I no. think to dust, From Dust Till Dawn has more oh, to say than this movie come, does. No, come on, dude. No one's, no one's sitting back and remembering that. Everyone loves Sin City. Every, I mean, Sin City is the one that sticks in your head more. I mean, granted, it, it has the, the higher up because of its visual palette, sure. But, like, I mean, at least this movie spawned some in, imitators. Granted, they all sucked, but... I need to see El Mariachi, but I mean, I think that is probably the token response. What's his best yeah. movie? No, let me be very clear. Robert Rodriguez is not a good director. <laughs> let me be very clear about that. Supposedly Alita is pretty good. <laughs> Yo. I want to see Alita. No, you don't. Yeah, I do. <laughs> we may have to at some point. Yeah. But no, he's not a good filmmaker just because he hangs out with Tarantino and Tarantino likes keeping him around. He's not a good filmmaker. He may be an important filmmaker for the history of like independent cinema, but no, not good. And this movie is, you know, what you expect out of Robert Rodriguez, which is some boobs, some violence, some cool colors, and, uh, you know, nothing to say. In fact, like just a lot of like 10 year old tendencies to spew. That's what it is. I don't care, man. It's just good. Honestly, honestly, the filmmaking here is what I love the most. Just as a a weird, pulpy, otherworldly cinematic experience. I mean, this movie is just a shit ton of fun. It's one of the the, the most interesting neo-noirs I've ever seen, if you even want to call it that. Um, I mean, everybody in the movie is just having so much fun. It's just an exciting movie in that way. Are there any good performances in this movie, though? Is there like a performance... Mickey Rourke is great. Okay. Uh, you say you I call even, him great? Uh, I, I think, for, dude, for what they're going for, yeah, absolutely. 
it's great to see Rucker Hauer in the movie. He's really good in it. <laughs> Elijah Wood as this fucking weird cat cannibal thing, whatever he's, he's doing. He's uh, I enjoy Bruce Willis beating the shit out of the mustard guy, who's also really good, who is played by, I don't know his name, but he plays John Connor in Terminator 3, which blew my fucking mind. The yellow bastard. Yeah, which is great. I mean, dude, like, I, I, I understand, like, doesn't necessarily have that much to say, but just as a turn your brain off fun experience, whatever, like, this movie is is awesome. It is a turn your brain off fun experience. I think that's what it is. But the problem here is that it is a neo-noir and it is made with such style and yeah. such indulgence. Really, I think that's as generous as I can put it, <laughs> that it implies a level of importance that's just not there. Oh, what are you talking about? You know I hate movies like this, but... What do you mean importance? Like, significance. Like, the movie thinks it has something to say, but doesn't have anything to say. No, I never get that impression whatsoever. The script is so indulgent. No, it is. What do you mean? Like it has something to say, like the movie thinks it's being anything besides just like. No, the movie thinks it's smart. It's what, well, it's certainly smart with the way it chooses to adapt this thing. It's like an excellent visualization of what the graphic novel is. I think the filmmaking is pretty unforgettable, and it's never bad. It's never jarring whatsoever. It all works as far as I'm concerned. I'm not taking away. The style is really cool. It's a really yeah. co- it's an actually an incredibly looking movie. Yeah. Um, but look, here, I think here's part of the problem I'm having, right? Because people like you say this about Tarantino all the time, and they, you know, they accuse Tarantino of being childish. They, uh, they, they kill him for his foot fetish. They kill him yeah. for his abundance of violence. All this stuff. They say that there's, you know, there's a there's a lot of mindless violence and misogyny in Tarantino movies. I didn't say that about Tarantino. Well, people do, and they're yeah. wrong. And you know why they're wrong? Because Tarantino movies have a lot to say about the world. And have a lot to say about their characters, and he and he treats his characters with a level of admiration and care that you yeah. don't see out of Rodriguez movies. And the fact that those two get clumped together all the time, <laughs> and a movie like Sin City, I read this in a Roger Ebert review, by the way. I was re- I always read Roger Ebert's reviews before I I, uh, I do this podcast. He said that Sin City was born out of Tarantino's like ten year old fantasy dream. Mm-hmm. Like this is it, like if Tarantino uh, could uh, invent a playpen in his mind, this is what it would look like. And I just don't think that that's fair. I don't think Tarantino, although Tarantino has a lot of the same visual interests as Robert Rodriguez. And although sometimes his dialogue sounds similar and his movies feel like Rodriguez movies. In fact, they made a movie together in Grindhouse. Mm-hmm. They are not on the same stratosphere. And I think that's what bothers me. Like Tarantino movies have a ton to say and they're thought provoking and they're interesting and they hold up on rewatch. And this Mm -hmm. movie is not that at all. And the fact that people (laughs) think of it in the same breath is insane to me. What do you mean? They think I, I don't care about what other people are saying. I don't give a shit. I'm not even comparing this to another Tarantino movie. I have no interest in that next to a Tarantino movie. This does not feel like a Tarantino film to me for good reason. Nor does it to me either. Yeah. By the way, Tarantino tries sometimes to have something to say. Oh, that fuck off, dude. Doesn't always happen. Go straight to hell. <laughs> He'll do it. it. I'm not saying he's incapable. There are plenty of times where he's done it successfully in movies that I like more than you, by the way, like the Kill Bill films. Yeah, but, um, sure. Yeah. There, there's uh, so much more to say in the Kill Bill movies than this. So much y- more. Yes, I agree with that entirely. <laughs> but I'm not there's taking away. There's more in Death Proof than this. 
Uh, no. <laughs> uh, no. It, no. No. What? What? There, there is more to say about feminism and female empowerment. Oh, there's it, more. There is more of that in. in you don't. You don't get that out of, of out of the entire like Amazonian clan of people in in this movie. Certainly not. Come okay. On. No. Yeah, whatever. No. 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 Oh. No. 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 Okay. That is Keep, that is a that is a group of women invented by a horny ten year old boy. It's like, what <laughs> if they were hookers, but they also killed? That's what that is. <laughs> At Stop. least it goes for it. I mean, I don't know what. Death Proof even does. I mean, that that movie does nothing as far as I'm concerned. Death Proof is not a good movie. Let's be very clear. Death Proof is not a good movie, but it has more to say intellectually than Sin City does. I'm not even sure if that's true, man. Yeah, I, I, I didn't take as much away from that. I'm not sure if I took as much away thematically from this, but I mean, as far as an experience is concerned, I mean, this was significantly more enjoyable and enthralling and unforgettable. The fact that it's a movie that actually looks like a graphic novel is really, really cool. Yeah. The use of colors in this movie is really, really cool. <laughs> there is nothing beyond this movie than it is really, really cool. And what that's is there be- bothersome. What is there beyond Pacific Rim that is really, really cool? That see this is your this is the biggest fallacy because Pacific Rim What? Knows what are you what, talking about? Pacific Rim knows what it is. And this doesn't? I would argue that no, it doesn't. What? I would argue that it doesn't. I'm yelling at you. What are you talking about? (laughs) Pacific Rim indulges in some childhood fantasies and and is aware of it and therefore is a commentary on those fantasies. And, And this one isn't acutely aware. I would say this one is more aware than that movie could ever hope to be. Pacific Rim is not self aware. Yes, it is. But like, it's not like this. Pacific Rim is very clear. It is a movie about giant robots fighting giant monsters. Yes, and this is very obviously a fucking over-the-top comic book movie that is about as disconnected as reality as you could possibly get. No one making this movie would be on set being like, wow, the shit we're saying with this is just next-level shit. Does, see, does Frank Miller know that, though? I don't know. Does Frank Miller know that he's making stuff for 10-year-old boys? I have he, no does idea. Does he know that that's the target demo? Because part of me thinks he doesn't. Where, where where's your issue is your issue with the movie or the people behind it well i think they're one and the same no we don't we talk about this all the time where we separate that though i and what we take away from the movie well, is I'm, the entire see, argument but i'm i i still think that that stuff is embedded in the movie though i still feel like sure you, you can see that in the movie but dude it's robert rodriguez's movie at the end of the day it really is i, I disagree i don't think it's i but i wouldn't say that Mm. because it like he literally steals frames from the graphic novel that's why frank miller has a co-directing credit he was on set and he designed a number of the shots in fact he designed most of the shots you see those side-by-side stills the gra- the, the the frame of the graphic novel and the frame of the movie are identical to one another but it's completely different from being the 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 guy steering the ship though that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's that's actually uh, that's actually unfair to Robert Rodriguez to to claim that uh, Frank Miller would be a co-director. As far as I'm concerned, I'll, listen, I put him at a I'll put him at a co-writer. Sure. Listen, I'll I'll read this direct quote from Rodriguez. He said that he does not consider this movie to be an adaptation so much as a translation. Mm. This is why there are no screenwriting credits in the credits. It's okay. just story by Frank Miller, creator of graphic novels. There is no screenplay credit. Yeah. 
And so although there, I guess, was a screenplay, a lot of the dialogue was ripped straight from the graphic novel. The shots were ripped straight from the graphic novel. Yeah. This is, as he said, just a retelling of that story. A re, a, a, I think translation is a great word of the graphic novel. This is just you take the frames and you put them to movement. Mm-hmm. And you, do you have you any idea how hard that is to do, though, as it's, a filmmaker? It's an incredibly hard feat. Yes. That's what I'm talking about. And I also, a, what, what ends up happening often is that a filmmaker will go to do it and then in, sort of invariably like, like go way off course with this, you know, whereas this movie clearly manages to be, yes, the graphic novel. But, dude, I would immediately think like f- almost from the first frame that it's a Robert Rodriguez movie. It'd be unmistakable to me. I just find it to be boyish. I find it to be boyish escapism disguised as something a little more. Ugh. I, I, I agree with you that it's like escape boyish escapism. Sure. I, I'm not disagreeing with that, but I, I where I don't know where this is coming from, where it's trying to be more than it is. I, it, I think it knows exactly what it is. All I know is Frank Miller gets a lot of credit from all these these nerdy <laughs> fanboys that are like, oh, he changed superheroes forever. I, I want to to kill like, every like fanboy is fucking Orson <laughs> Welles. Get the hell out of here. I want to take care of every single fanboy in existence so that we could have a much more civilized conversation. Cause you and I hate fans. <laughs> we hate fans and <laughs> they ruin all of our experiences with these movies. Since it is not a bad movie. Okay. <laughs> it is not I'm, a bad movie. I'm glad you think it's not a bad movie. I think it's very good. Match point. Oh, yeah. Match point. Do I need to hide? Do I need to get under the desk right now? No, you're fine. Okay. <laughs> Written and directed by Woody Allen, starring Jonathan Reese Myers, Matthew Good, Scarlett Johansson, Emily Mortimer, and Brian Cox, nominated for Best Original Screenplay at the Oscars. At a turning point in his life, a former tennis pro falls for an actress who happens to be dating his friend and soon-to-be brother-in-law. Woody Allen calls this his best movie ever made. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, <clears throat> I watched this one for the first time. Did yeah. you watch it two hours ago? Yes. <laughs> so you haven't sat with the movie at all? Uh, do I need to? I think you might have to. Really? I think so. I think generally that's how movie watching works. Uh, so consider, when, when did you watch The Descent? I watched it last night. Okay, that's good. Last I night? Th- Ooh, really? I'm surprised by that. <laughs> Still not. You're not the not, only one. <laughs> still not that much time though to sit with a movie. Uh, hmm. I, 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 I like let to me be clear. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I get the descent. I yes. get it. I get what it's what, going for. No need to ponder that anymore. You think I need to ponder match point? I think you might have to. Yes. Oh my god. Oh my god. I take it you didn't like the movie. I liked the movie a lot. Okay. Actually, it's very good. It's very good. But I have two sides of my brain in contention with this one. And unfortunately, to contradict what I just said before about separating the filmmaker. um, (laughs) Is the evil Adam winning out? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) But like, um, I probably would have liked this movie more had I not seen Crimes and Misdemeanors. Because, again, like the movie, if I take it as it is in a bubble, it's like really, really good. And I, I enjoyed it a lot. And there's not much about the movie that I disliked, honestly. Um, but like, whoa, this story is nearly identical to the Martin Landau story in 
um, um, uh, crimes and misdemeanors. Mm -hmm. And again, like this, (laughs) I'm coming down on you for calling Wes Anderson repetitive friend. Oh, oh boy. Oh man. Like, dude, like, like you're right. Like Wes Anderson's style is repetitive as all hell and tonally it's repetitive, but at least he tells different stories. Like Lee Allen this, makes a movie a year, man. Yeah, and he, he should calm down. He should calm down, and I bet you they're all the same. Well, like he's calming down now because no one's letting good. him make a movie anymore. Yeah, figures. <laughs> <laughs> but like th- again, like I, I thought I had that that sense of deja vu with crimes and misdemeanors, but like I was like, oh my god, this is like literally identical. The only difference is that I like it more. I and I'm shocked because crimes and misdemeanors is my favorite Woody Allen movie. I've talked yeah. about that. Uh. I mean, look, is there a huge difference between Manhattan and Annie Hall? Like, from a story yeah. perspective? In a, in a lot of ways, sure. Yes no. and no. Eh, not really. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. He falls in love with a girl in New York City and, you yeah. know, complication <laughs> ensues. Yeah. There's not a... T- I mean, Woody Allen, yeah, sure. He makes the same movie every time with, I think, a different sense of style, though, in each movie, and I think that's the important thing. Oh, but this is, the, this is what I'm talking about, though, is that I'm not sure. Like, the thing I was criticizing about Woody Allen this time is that usually usually he'll tell the same story with the same style and the same tone that's not the case here which is what made it so interesting but i have found that that's generally the case the only thing that was striking me about this one i was like oh this is not funny at all no it's actually, it's actually very dark yes. and it's maybe the the bleakest he's ever been by a and mile yeah yeah and I watched it thinking like, oh, this is what I was missing out of like some of his cynical themes that he plays around with. But comically, I and a lot of times it doesn't work for me when he he goes in that direction. But here it made a lot more sense and it was delivered in a much harder way. Um, and even though generally speaking, it looks like a Woody Allen film, there are many instances where the camera floats throughout a scene in a much more ominous way that I wasn't used to out of him or they're mm. constructed or, or lit in a way that is much more indicative of a thriller, which was well, there, very, there's a remove to it. There's a sense of yeah. remove, which is what I really appreciate because the character, Jonathan Reese Myers is a guy that is fairly removed from life and he sees his life as an algorithm that can be solved. Like mm-hmm. this is how I'm happy in my sex life. And this is how I make enough money to get to this point in my life. And uh, yeah, I think he's he's very calculated, and the movie, from a filmmaking perspective, is also very calculated. And I would call it impersonal in a in a good way because most Woody Allen movies are very personal and in your face with these characters. Mm-hmm. Yep, and it's yeah, it's it's uh, I it, I don't it's is it impersonal? I'm, I'm not necessarily sure if the movie is well, impersonal. Um, in, impersonal, not in its style, but in its um. In, in its judgment of these people. Mm. Do you know what okay. I mean? I think most Woody Allen movies, there's a tendency to justify bad behavior. It's certainly in the case of something like Manhattan. And in even in the case of Crimes and Misdemeanors, you understand where Martin Landau is coming from. And I don't know about you, but I at least rooted for Martin Landau in that movie. Uh, this one, I don't think ma- makes any ifs, ands, or buts about it. Jonathan Reese Myers is a bad person. Yeah. That does bad things. <clears throat> yes, yes. And there and and actually maybe this is what it is. There is no Woody Allen stand-in in no. this movie. No. Whereas not at all. every other Woody Allen movie, even the ones that he's not in, have a Woody Allen stand-in. Like in the case of Hannah and her sisters, Woody Allen is in that movie, but Michael Caine is the Woody Allen stand-in. Yep. That's very um, true. So 
I think this is the one movie where you can't pick out the character in the bunch that's supposed to be Woody. And yeah. I appreciate that about it. Well, that's why it felt so different tonally. Like I said, aesthetically, it's pretty much there. And the story is also there. But like, again, the general tone of it was so different from what I was used to. And not entirely of what I was expecting. It's still has a lot of like Woody Allen tropes, I would say. But for the most part, I was like, yeah, no, it's it's interesting to see a movie that is not concerned with having any comic relief whatsoever or having right. any self-awareness to what's going on. Like there's, there's no attempt to turn towards the camera in this movie. It couldn't be less interested in that. And it, it it's nice to see Woody kind of say that this is his favorite movie mm-hmm. because it's the, the furthest he's gotten from making something that's, you know, separate from himself in a way. Sure. Which is Which what is, I liked about it. Yes. Yeah, and I, I think he feels the same way about it. Um, yeah. The the only problem, though, this is the thing that I'm coming back on in terms of, I just feel like he's said this before with a collection of other movies. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't want to come down on this movie too hard with that, but I, after we just did a Woody Allen pod, it's going to take me a year or so to forget about that. <laughs> so my, my initial experience is like, okay, like it's a really good movie in a bubble, but from my perspective, it's like, oh boy, Woody, like I, I know you, you've Been told there, me this. Been there, done before. that? Uh, in terms of what you're trying to tell me, sure. Yeah, uh, there's a scene in this movie where Jonathan Rhys Myers is reading Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, <laughs> which is what Crimes and Misdemeanors was based on. And they both do, I think, deal with similar themes of justice and morality in the world. Um and I won't spoil the movie, but yeah, it takes a similar arc to Crimes and Misdemeanors. Actually, near identical arc in, in one particular case. Yep. Uh, but I, I, I think that this idea of luck is super clever and is a really awesome note to end on. Uh, the scene of the ring hitting the railing. Yep. It's just a really cool visual motif. It's just really fucking clever. Uh, and to, to, contra- to, to juxtapose it with the scene of the tennis ball and the tennis net at the beginning. It's just super duper clever. And like Woody is one of the great screenwriters of all time for a reason, man. And uh, I, I can't get enough of that stuff. I can't get enough of Woody Allen espousing about the world. I, I'll always appreciate that, but that's me. <laughs> yeah. I just want to hear this guy talk about the world. And yeah. I'll say this. It's a star making performance for ScarJo. She's awesome yeah. in this movie. There's the one thing I thought of uh, our Inception podcast while watching this, oddly. Okay. Because you, when we were talking about it, I was saying how I didn't, I'm not watching a movie for a spinning room. Like, it's cool, but, you know, that's not enough. What is enough is rubbing lotion on Scarlett Johansson. That is enough. That's enough. Yeah. Always enough for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you that one. You, one point to Nico. <laughs> <laughs> she is unbelievably hot in this oh my god too I was, hot I, I, I was like oh, i gotta shut this off i can't do it she's too beautiful <laughs> you know here's here's the what? funny thing though funny thing what? when she was having a conversation with jonathan reese what's his name myers jonathan reese myers when i heard her voice match with his voice his voice is actually much more appealing to listen to <laughs> <laughs> i disagree that is the that is the most like perfect English accent I've ever heard in my entire life. Oh, it, okay, yeah. It was like it was like flawless, and which is weird because the actor's Irish. But I mean, I that's like, definitely the point. 
Yeah. And I'm like, what the hell? Because she's got this like really raspy, almost like tomboyish voice, mm-hmm. which I do like. But I was like, well, the contrast here is really confusing because she's so beautiful. Right. <laughs> she's so. But like hearing th- this guy's voice, it's like, oh, I could listen to an audio book from this guy. Well, he's a very handsome man. Let's not. Let's sure. not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> let's not knock Jonathan Reese Myers. A very good looking guy. But uh, yeah, she is just. Uh, just oh, an my angel God. Descended from heaven. Unbelievably oh hot. And you feel absolutely terrible for her. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, look, Woody understands dysfunctional relationships. Again, like, yes, I know. I get that you understand dysfunctional <laughs> fucking relationships, Woody. You've never had a functional one. I, I, <laughs> so. Fun fact for you. Yeah. Uh, Nola was initially supposed to be played by Kate Winslet. She dropped out a week before filming was to start oh. why and, uh i i don't have the reason but uh scarjo stepped in at the 11th hour woody i think rewrote the script to make her an american he said yeah it wasn't that hard at all it took me about an hour but i think it does <laughs> add like an, an interesting layer to it that it's now this uh, american this like this foreigner that uh that you know kate winslet uh if the character was English, I'm not sure it would have the same effect. Maybe not. Well, you know, there's something tempting about the unknown there. You know well, what I mean? Like, yeah, she's, that's she's invaded. I, she's invaded your life, and now she's she's consumed you. That's kind of what I was. Feels a little more, you know, familiar. Well, that's yeah. I was I was gonna say there's something about like the, the treasure of this exotic American woman. You know, it's a little more it, on a story level. It's much more engaging than just being like another English woman that I like. Because then mm. it would have literally just been another adaptation of Crimes and Misdemeanors, right? To a point where it would have been like almost too distracting for its own good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's uh, like most things about this movie are really really great. I even like the the music in it. I like a lot. Mm-hmm. Yep, I like that the at, there's actually when the movie chooses to do it, there is good atmosphere. Woody's funny. He'll he'll do scenes that have little to no style or atmosphere whatsoever, and then he'll do something like this that is just drenched in style and atmosphere, and then go back to like the dinner parties that have none of that. And the contrast is kind of fun to watch. So I yeah. like that. Well, I think I think he's capable of being just like a really awesome visual filmmaker, and he's underrated in that respect. Uh, sure, Manhattan is, has some of the great shots in the history of film uh and yeah this one has a, a, a lot of that i it's it's just a real uh testament to his versatility i agree and but it's yes and no it's like a testament to his versatility and at the same time lack thereof well not in story but in style i think yeah but i mean it's I, like it's like jazz right it's like you're, you're playing the same five notes over and over again it's just how what order you put those notes in yeah it's very similar though is the thing I mean, style, the, the, it's not so much even style in this movie so much. It's tone specifically. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that I took away from it more than anything, was that the tone in this movie is so different from most Woody Allen films. And specific, and, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, that's the thing. is that, he, And here's the best way to put it. Aside from the Woody Allen motifs that are in every single one of his movies, I would not have assumed that this was a Woody Allen film. Yes, definitely not. I think if you watch this in a bubble, you wouldn't say that. Yeah, I probably would have said, oh, it's kind of ripping off uh, Crimes and Misdemeanors, but it's a very good ripoff. Right. So, Yeah, I, I like this movie a lot. I also watched it for the first time about a month ago after we did that really? Woody Allen podcast. Yeah, I, okay. I told you this, I think, right? That's right. I, yeah, yeah, I always forget. Yeah, yeah. I, I watched it uh, right afterwards, and I kind of wish I nominated it because 
yeah, I think I'd put this in the top six Woody Allen movies for me, or at least it's an interesting the, conversation so, too. Just, yeah. I think Jabril should yeah. watch this. I think that's the point. He would like, no, 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 like Jabril, we know you're listening. It'd be very strange <laughs> if you were not. Um, yeah, you would like this one, dude. You would like this yeah. one a lot. Yeah. But yes, I, I do have to reiterate, I didn't take a lot away from it that I haven't taken away from his other movies. The luck thing is kind of interesting. Um, even then, like it, it, it's, I feel like in a way it's been touched upon and even honestly crimes and misdemeanors again. Mm-hmm. You know, and sort of like the the flippantness of it all and how you never really know it can, you know, where things are going to land. The bad guy can just as easily get away with things as the good guy could fail entirely. You know, that's just mm-hmm. the way life is mm-hmm. and the meaninglessness. Literally, the conversation he had with the ghosts at the end was felt felt to me exactly like the scene where uh, Marlanda is sitting with Woody Allen in a lot of right. ways. Right. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Entirely. Yeah. So I get it. The dude has a. A limited number of interests, I guess, in his screenplays, but like it always works for me. And that's what it comes down to, right? Yep. Uh, let's talk about The Descent. Oh, okay. Let's get to this. Written and directed by Neil Marshall, mm-hmm. who I know as the director of two of the great Game of Thrones episodes. He has also directed Dog Soldiers, which is awesome. Okay. He also directed Doomsday, which is, I've not seen all of what I have seen. It's fucking nuts and not particularly good, but whatever. And he also directed Hellboy, which is a gigantic, fiery piece of shit. Mm. Yeah. Uh, this one stars Shauna McDonald and Natalie Mendoza. Mm-hmm. Cave diving expedition goes horribly wrong as the explorers become trapped and ultimately pursued by a strange breed a predators i did indeed watch this one last night <laughs> around midnight oh boy not a good choice um oh god i was not well i was not well don't don't <laughs> don't do this to me anytime soon please don't do this why did you watch it then because I had time. What do you mean? That's why. Why didn't you watch? You could have watched it this morning. Because I was winding down from Survivor last night, and I'm like, all right, let's let's flip on this uh, UK horror movie. If you have such an issue with horror films, make it easier on yourself, even though I think you watched it in optimal circumstances, because that's when I would watch it. Well, but, uh, I watched it to get the optimal effect. Let's put it oh, that Oh, that's great. I'm proud of you, Nico. You sick bastard. <laughs> yeah, this is one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. Yes. <laughs> it's it's really bad, man. It's yeah, really it really bad. I um <sighs> You know, the first half is almost worse than the second. In a way. Yeah. You know what almost. I mean? Like the the second half, I get it. Like, you know, like a woman's getting her face bashed in with a stone and uh, another woman's getting hit in the face with a pickaxe and these uh humanoid creatures are are eating these women alive in a cave like and you know, there's a bone sticking out of a leg at one point. Not to say that the second is is a walk in the park, but uh, the claustrophobia in the first half of this movie. It, uh, oh man! Yep. Just you know what? Make it a cave movie. <laughs> I don't need. I don't need the weird monsters. <laughs> Just make it a cave movie. That scene where she's crawling through that little crevice. Oh and yeah, and she starts the having star- the panic attack, and the rocks start falling on her. That's enough. <laughs> I, I was I, not well. I was not well during that. Oh, because I was thinking about you through that. I was like, oh my god, like literally that scene. Because I was like, oh my god. Because Nika, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about how easily you're put off by like mundane 
things yes. that make you anxious. Yes. Right? And mm-hmm. I was like, Jesus Christ, Nico in a small space with the possibility of rocks falling on him, knowing that he can't escape and he's left thousand feet underground. Perfect. Perfect. Bro, <laughs> I have no fear of heights whatsoever. Put me on a tightrope uh, on the Empire State Building. I'm cool. Mm-hmm. The second you put me in a small space, like I get serious claustrophobia. Ooh, this that movie was, was fucking with you then. That was <laughs> that was really, really bad, man. And like the creatures were terrifying enough, and the bones sticking out of people's legs were terrifying enough. But wow, that first half. Scary. I'm glad you th- you found it to be one of the scariest movie experiences ever because I had a very similar experience with this movie. Uh, as did my brother, as did my mom, who actually really, really likes this movie. Oh, no! Yeah, my mom I really could not imagine showing my mother this. This was a funny... Okay, so to give you a little bit of background, um, I, of course, nominated it because who the fuck else? Yeah. Um, this is um, a movie I saw... A- couple years ago now and kind of took me a while to see it because um i I don't know why it's it's a uk film it's slightly harder to find than nightmare on elm street i don't know Mm -hmm. but um actually a very like revered film in the realm of horror now anyway because it's sort of widely accepted to be the best film uh, best horror film of the 2010s anyway and uh well yeah i've i've or not heard. twenty two thousands, two thousands, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard that, and you've raved about it a bunch too. Uh, yes. this is one of those cult classics that uh, people on the internet rave about. I cite it as the best, um, not as good as Alien, of course, but the best contemporary Alien film in terms of style. I would say, yeah, it had shades of Alien for sure. Yeah, yeah, and it's. Um, I think it. I mean, yes, I've raved about this mo- movie, Jesus, for ages now ever since i saw it i tell everybody to see it it's like if you people because people will frequently ask me i'm not scared by horror movies what do you recommend and the first thing i say every single time the descent yeah if you're not scared by that movie you're a psychopath yeah uh just don't do this to me again (laughs) i i I acknowledge that it's a it's a very effective uh exercise in scariness yeah it's a craftsmanship here is top-notch editing oh my god i love the editing of this movie it Mm. is so frenetic and jarring and scary when those things come out and not only that but just like the impact of things editing together a sequence of tension where they have to get out of a a space because rocks are sliding everything and oh my Mm. oh there's not a single thing here that doesn't work in my opinion i think the atmosphere and the production design is wonderful they're never actually in a cave so that makes it even more impressive Mm. so uh, Neil Marshall is top notch. The women in this movie are acting their butts off. Uh, some a little better than others, but for the most part, they're all good. I agree. Yeah. Yep. Um, and an interesting approach to make it an all female cast, which I, I, you might think it's a gimmick. Um, I sort of watched. It I don't think it's a it gimmick. Was, okay. Cause I went into it thinking it was going to be a gimmick. Like, Oh, they're just going to take advantage of, you know, a bunch of, you know, like like females as opposed to you know men because you know that's a subversive idea I guess I don't know right but they actually play it up and I completely forgot about it and that's mm-hmm. uh, that's a big tribute to the film to make me forget about that idea I was just these could have easily these. been all men yes yeah yeah and they I just, just watch yeah exactly exactly and that's a, a big tribute to the film for me to be able to forget about the idea of it being a gimmick it just works yeah um now I will say this. 
Yes. I, I think we have been spoiled over the last 10 years in terms of the horror genre. I think like I, I think we've said this several times on the podcast. It has been a renaissance of horror movies from like 2010 till now. Uh, it follows uh, the Babadook. Uh, uh, you love it comes at night. The Ari Aster movies. Mm-hmm. Don't breathe. Um, all of which I, I, I would at least put in the same class as this, if not it, it better than this. And I think, you know, one of the reasons why is because they avoid all tropes of horror, or at least if they yeah. include those tropes, they comment on those tropes. And I, I think I've been so spoiled that I watch a movie like this and it feels like just from another universe because oh, yeah. it's tropey. There are some tropes. Like I, I forgot how I forgot that feeling of watching a stupid character in a horror movie do a stupid thing and it angering me. That's something yeah. that you that you always used to get in horror movies. And now over the last five years or so, very rarely do you see a character that overtly stupid make a bad decision in a movie and for you to, you know, like, what are you doing going in that basement? Call the police already. You yeah. just never see that anymore. Um, so I was very frustrated because this is one of the dumbest uh, adventures I've ever seen in any movie ever. There's no reason to do this. This is really fucking stupid. Well, what do you what do you mean? Like the the, the notion of like the the main antagonist girl? Yes. Yeah. That's really really dumb. There is no reason that these young women who have no experience cave or at least very little experience well, cave diving going into a cave that has been unexplored without a map. That's ridiculous. My no- well again, my notion is that that they're not inexperienced they've been doing this for quite a while and i think they even say that they've been doing it for a while it's just something that they you know will casually go out and do it's something that they used to do before our lead character's family was horribly killed in a car accident shades of midsummer by the way yes yes i agree same with that ending in a lot of ways because you're right like the the thing is like i'm not like really so bothered by that conceit it doesn't i mean I it, it it's something that I, I oddly kind of bought into. Okay. I mean, I don't know. I sort of bought that this character being who she was because they do a good job at establishing how cocky she is and how you know self obsessed she is and how she really. Like, I love the notion that she's not doing this because she cares about her friend, even though she believes she does. Really inherently, she just wants to go back and enjoy that thrill of discovering something amazing and then being punished for it because she was never in it for her friend. She was just being selfish. Well, there's a line in the movie that's like. Uh, you know, if it's if there's no risk involved, we're not interested in it. Um, yeah. and, and I've here's the thing though: I've known people like that that are that are nutcases like that that <laughs> just want want to do stupid like stupid like 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 even spelunking, honestly, or or like going whitewater rafting, just in a place that you'd never go whitewater rafting. I'm like, what are you talking about, if man? If you are an experienced spelunker, though, you would know not to go into a cave without an, an unexplored cave without like proper notification of the authorities yeah. like you would make sure someone knew you were down there mm-hmm. and you would bring enough batteries so that your the lights yeah. didn't go out like it's just it's really fucking dumb man it's a yeah. dumb expedition these characters should not have been down there yeah. you should not have crawled through that narrow crevice i can't i i don't know what would ah, i don't know what desire would cause anybody to do this some crazy <laughs> well this is and this is the thing though like there's there's certain things that again don't really i it's there are a few leaps you have to make like with again them uh buying into like i i don't have an issue with them going into an 
undiscovered cave system because i mean as someone who loves to explore shit like that i can actually see myself doing something like this <laughs> i'll explore the woods <laughs> i would explore something like this i'm let me be very clear i am never going in a cave ever. now <laughs> don't ask me to ev- ever don't ask me to go in a cave i'm cool i'll keep watch you go explore the cave mm-hmm. i'm not crawling through a little crevice and get i'm not gonna get stuck on a rock as they start collapsing on me no hell no yeah. Yeah, this is like the neurotic nico <laughs> like just no, it's, a- it's the sensible nico <laughs> who wants to do this what morons want to do this dude i've seen people swimming with great white sharks without a fucking cage <laughs> man it's like that uh where that the uh the the uh, the kids that were stuck in the caves last yeah. year yeah who would because uh, well this is the thing and, and this is what i'm saying it's not that it's it's not smart you're right it's not smart but it's not unbelievable which is why it's very easy for me to make that leap um yeah. and the thing is um even even like the stupid things like people this is something i actually oddly miss is that when horror in, in horror movies especially when characters act too logically i actually stop believing it because in these situations, that's not how people behave. Okay. You do not behave logically when you're panicking in anything like this. Right. As a matter of fact, you usually do the worst possible thing. Okay. Fair. I don't like it when it's pervasive to the point where in like Prometheus, where it's like, guys just run to the side. Right. I get that. Right. But like in something like, Oh my God, there's something chasing us. I'm just going to run. It's like, yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. Fair enough. Do you buy a character getting mad about an affair her dead husband had while being attacked by humanoid creatures in a cave. <laughs> Is that uh, even on the top 20 list of concerns in that moment? I don't know. I've never had that happen to me. Okay. No <laughs> fucking way. I'm getting mad about that. As my friend just got mauled and ripped to shreds by a, by a, a man pig underneath the surface of the earth. I don't buy that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, again, the, the movie did force me to take some leaps that I, I have not been forced to make in a very long time watching yes. horror movies. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, in that way, it feels like a relic of a, of a, of another generation. It doesn't feel like the start of this horror golden age. It no. feels like the end of the previous age. It, it's, that's what I'm, it's the best of that previous age. It's the sure. best that those like tropes and cliches could have been like, and that's the thing though, like, cause I'm not disagreeing with you and I've been acutely aware of that, that the movie has those leaps and those cliches. But again, it never really bothered me because this movie framed it in such a way where I could buy into those things. And it was mm-hmm. fun. It was like those ideas were much more fun here than they ever were. Cause in like the grudge or the saw or the sure. ring, it's just sure. like, shut up people. Stop it. There's no reason to use this story thread. There's no reason to have the girl go in there you're just doing it to manipulate us and in here it just made all the more sense i mean jesus like you you and i both know i know we would never be in this scenario but if we were stuck the way that we were we would have died a thousand times over oh of course yeah are you kidding yeah yeah i mean death death is preferable to what happened to a lot of these people (laughs) death is the better outcome i'm sorry Mm -hmm. kids i'd I'd also, I'd also like to comment. I love the 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 conceptualization of the creatures in this, yeah. because again, I could kind of buy them. Like I don't know, maybe something like that could exist. <laughs> yeah, uh, not not the most unbelievable creature I've ever seen. 
okay. they're just human beings that have adapted to living in caves for a very, very long time. That's all they are. Yeah. Yeah. It's really uh, creepy. Yeah. Let's not use the word fun, though, to describe this movie, because this movie is not fun in any oh, way. Oh, it's a blast. I, I've seen this movie multiple times. I have a good time getting getting the the willies okay. while watching this one. It's I, as, again just I I it's oh, it's honestly my favorite movie on the list. <laughs> it's and thinking about it, it's not even close. If Munich was on here, it's I would very, probably still very, say what? It's it's very effective. It's very effective. It's very good. It's very good, Nico. Uh, and yeah, which, no, you've seen uh, both uh, endings, by the way. Say what? Have you seen both endings? Oh, what do you like? Are you even aware of this? Cave at- yeah, there there are two endings. No, I've I've only seen the one where it ends with her st- stuck in the cave. Really? Yeah. Oh my there, god! There's, well, there's the ending where she escapes and it seems like she's gonna make it out, and then it turns out, boop! No, she's just like hallucinating and it's like a la Brazil and she's actually still back in the cave. Right, right, right. And that's the ending you've seen. Okay. That is the UK ending of the movie. Oh, there is a U.S. ending of the movie. I'm shocked. You don't know this. What is it? So there's a U.S. ending where she makes it out and she's Um. driving away and, uh, and Juno, the, the evil bitch is sitting next to her in the, in the car and that's the ending that I saw. Oh, I only re- I only read about the ending that 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 you just described, and I so I read about that on Wikipedia, and I'm like, oh, thank oh. God, I didn't watch that version. Oh, that's the better version, though. Well, I don't know. I have to. I think I'd have to see both yeah. in order to understand. I'm shocked you haven't seen the U.S. ending. That's crazy. No, no, I've only seen the U.K. version, and it's so much. I love that ending. Again, like it's it's much more thematically appropriate. It's it's where the the story was going. It's not a cop out. It doesn't pull a punch. And I was like, with, with what the movie's the, the story is about, a character losing her mind. And the the I mean, it wouldn't make any sense for her to reconcile that at the very end. And it's just it's just a well, they they there is still an implication that she's going insane, but it's it kind of has its cake and eats it too. It still lets not, her no, escape. Not, you know? Not with the UK version. No, no. Because okay. well, that's the thing. that What you saw in the UK version, um, or Jesus, in the US version is a, um, um, Jesus, it is, uh, it's like a dream sequence. Like she's just, like I said, she's hallucinating and then she wakes up back in the cave and she's just fucking crazy. Okay, so all they did is they cut off that little part then. Yeah. Because the, in the US, they're like, oh, that's going to be too upsetting for audiences. So we got to. Okay. So the, the version on Hulu, I, I watch it on Hulu. You, anybody can stream it now on Hulu. It's available there. That's the ending that they use. Okay. Wrong right. ending. I, I thought that they shot two different versions, but you're just saying that they, they just clipped one. There is a scene they, of her in the car and Juno sitting next to her. Yep. Got it. Okay. Yep. Understood. And then I like thought they shot two different out. versions like Clue. <laughs> no. No. Okay. Well, there you go. That's the descent. Awesome movie. Awesome movie. Yeah, there's no shot of inducting this today. I'm just letting you know right now. Oh, boy. You're going to have to convince me. <laughs> that's not. It, no, that's not going to happen. I, okay. I don't want to induct the next movie. <laughs> well, that's Brokeback Mountain, and it's directed by Ang Lee, written by Larry McMurtry, the great yep. Larry McMurtry, who we just talked about with Last Picture Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think these are the only two movies that he has screenwriting credits on. 
And both yeah. are great scripts. Starring Heath Ledger, Jake Gyllenhaal, Michelle Williams, Anne Hathaway, and Linda Cardellini. Winner of Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Original Score at the Oscars. Also nominated for Picture, Actor, Supporting Actor, Supporting Actress, and Cinematography. The story of a forbidden love and secretive relationship between two cowboys and their lives over the years. This movie, incidentally, grossed $178 million at the box office on a $14 million budget. Controversy does that for you. A massive commercial success despite the controversy at the time, which, uh, like, if this movie came out today, there would be none of that. It's just crazy how 15 years changes the world. Oh, and I remember what it was like when this movie came out. I remember it pretty acutely, actually. Oh, yeah. I remember, like, people... Oh my God, this movie was made fun of a lot, actually. Well, I think the log line was it's the gay cowboy movie. And before yep. I saw it, that's how I knew it. I just, oh, it's just yep. a movie about two cowboys that are gay having sex in a mountain. Yep. Like, why would anybody enjoy that? And I mean, that's what the media does it removes context from mm-hmm. things. Uh, and like, you look back now and you see like all like these like conservative pundits like talking about it and making fun of it and it's like it's Ugh. really like icky yeah i know really right? icky man and it's very obvious they didn't watch the movie yeah clearly they didn't watch the movie uh yeah uh, this is i i just think obviously the best movie on the list and like i'm not even saying that it's my favorite movie on the list it's not the one that i've revisited the most uh but I just think like it's a pretty remarkable movie in every way from top to bottom. The cinematography is awesome. Direction is great. I think it's Ang Lee's best movie. Really? Um, I do. Yeah. I think it's his best movie. Uh, I, I think Heath Ledger is tremendous in the lead. Mm-hmm. I think Michelle Williams is awesome as his wife. I think Jake Gyllenhaal is a weakness in the movie. And I don't think it's like a, it, it sticks out like a sore thumb, but I do think like he is less believable as a cowboy in the sixties than Heath Ledger, but maybe that's part of the point. And, uh, you know, I just think like the script is incredibly moving and you know, it's not bad. you can call it the gay cowboy movie and that would be really underselling it. Cause, uh, yeah, I, I just think like it's a remarkable character study and it's a great, well, it's a great, again, like I, I love when, um, um, uh, Heath Ledger actually talked about the movie and how it's more about like just souls falling in love. Mm-hmm. And that notion is actually quite interesting to me and it's quite inter- f- engaging to watch and see it develop. It's, um, I don't know if it's the best movie on the list. <clears throat> I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal is kind of a problem. Uh, yeah. It's also very repetitive. Oh, but- I don't, I don't think so at all. I don't think so at all. Yeesh, man. I don't uh, rewatching it, especially. I'm like, yikes. You think the movie's repetitive? Yeah, it's, 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 yes. And it's my biggest fault with the movie is like from a story perspective, it's kind of the same thing happening over and over and over again. And it develops a little bit for each scene in that sense, as, you know, as I suspected. But like, I, 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 it, it made the movie a little boring, you know? I don't find this movie boring at all. Really? No, I, I don't think that. I think like that's life, man. I think that life is okay. Let me put it this way. My favorite part of the movie personally um, is not the romance, not the chemistry between uh, Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal. It's the Michelle Williams aspect. I think Michelle Williams actually gives the best performance in the whole movie. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> that character in a lesser movie with a lesser screenwriter 
would be an afterthought. She would just be sure. the wife who's clueless to what's going on, uh, has no idea who her husband actually is. And one day she wakes up and her husband leaves her for a dude. And like, we've seen that many times and it's often come across as tropey and insincere. Um, but this movie makes her as much a victim of their relationship as the two guys are. And right away, Michelle Williams finds out what's going on and she doesn't say a word Yeah, for years and years and years. And Heath Ledger continues to go on fishing trips, quote unquote, with Jake <laughs> Gyllenhaal. Yeah. And she just sucks it up and deals with it, knowing full well what's going on. And uh, it's just an incredibly smart move to make that character a victim. There are no winners here. And you really get a sense of just how knowing that information can haunt someone for a decade of their lives and how burying that information and burying the, you know, the truth can eat away at someone. Um, And I think like this movie is about the passage of time and it's about how denying who you really are uh, does a lot of damage. And that's not just denying the fact that you're gay, but denying the fact that, you know, your husband is not in love with you or that you're living a lie mm-hmm. or that the profession that you're in is not what it's supposed to be or that I'm a rodeo cowboy, but I want something greater. Um, it's a movie about burying identity and burying the truth. Um, and yeah, I think you might call that mundane, but like there's an, there's an element of repetitiveness that's necessary in order to get a, a theme like that across. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It's, um, I mean, I, I certainly appreciate everything that this movie has to say, and it does say those things very well. You know, it's not it's not like a certain director that I dislike who tries to jam a thousand themes into his movies and they never work. But um, no, this one's actually uh, 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 quite effective in ha- in handling those. Shut up. <laughs> there are about five directors that that could have been, by the way. I don't know who you're throwing shade on, but I have like, me you're talking yeah. about me. Yeah, I have like three or four in my. No, I'm like no. I, I think don't know who. Pr- I don't know who you just threw under the bus, but I have an idea. It's pretty obvious. Okay. You know, you know, someone who made a, a, a certain movie with Matthew McConaughey and okay, space. Okay, got it. Got it. You get that? Yeah. Did I not make it? Do you want me to explain a little more? Yes. Of course, you're talking about the director of Serenity. Um, exactly. There we go. <laughs> Thank you. for the Whatever his name is. You know me so well, Nico. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, and, and I I can't speak highly enough of Heath Ledger and 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 honestly Michelle Williams. Like those, that could be my favorite aspect of the movie. It's just so mm-hmm. interesting, mm-hmm. and I I even like like the movie never stops being like like consistently like on point with those things. Because one of the things it does very very well is that it never explicitly tells you all the things that are rolling around in their head. Mm-hmm. It just shows you the littlest fine details. And I and one of my favorite examples of that is after spoiler alert, Jake Gyllenhaal's character is beaten to death. And the wife, spoiler, well, I know, but it's, <laughs> it's 15 years old. Fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. If you um, haven't seen it by now, you're, you, you, you're not going to see it. But there's a, that great moment where, uh, uh, Ennis calls, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's wife and you can tell she knows exactly what happened mm, and why oh, he was and killed. Hathaway. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And she's sort of just pissed off at the notion. She's not really even. She's upset, like very upset, but at the same time, very remorseful at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting to watch that character dynamic play in her head. Right. And the movie is filled with stuff like that, just silently telling you what's going on with these characters psychologically. That's my favorite mm-hmm. stuff about the movie. You more than hear anything. every word that she's thinking. Oh, yes, exactly. Right. Exactly. All, all of the rage she has towards Heath. 
uh, you know, all the regret she has for not seeing it sooner. Um, but also like all the pain it's causing her to, to not talk about it. Yeah. To just say, Oh yeah, he was just hit by a tire. Mm hmm. Yeah, to to be like I'm, because she's worried about her image, you know, being like this yeah. Texas wife, you know. Of course, every everything that this movie does in terms of a character study, this movie should have been like five hours long, mm-hmm. but it somehow manages to be what it's like almost two hours exactly, and pack like as much richness as anything else. So that's my favorite aspects of the movie, just how it handles character. Is yeah, is it's an it's great. an amazing character study. It's really really good. Um, yes, and, but it's also like a compelling western. Yeah, the, the, I find it to be incredibly atmospheric and and uh, I love the world that Ang Lee creates here, which is why I think it's Ang Lee's best movie. I'm not the biggest Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon fan. I think we talked about that on a previous podcast. I really um, like that movie. And I guess maybe Life of Pi is <laughs> no I, is the other one. I don't know. What what else is what else are the candidates? A lot of people say the Ice Storm is his best movie. I've never seen that. Me neither. Okay. Sense and Sensibility he did. did really? I didn't see that either. So yeah. Hulk. Uh, it's Hulk. Hulk. With Eric Bana and <laughs> and Nick Nolte. Oh my god. I hate that movie so that much. That movie sucks ass. So yeah, I uh I, I think it works as a Western. I think it works as a love story. I think it works as a story about domestic Texas. Yep. Uh, I and I think like just top to bottom, score, script, cinematography. I, I think just I don't know, man. By process of elimination, I have I think this has to be the inductee. I know you feel like that, that we would be doing that out of obligation, but this is pretty damn close to a masterpiece. Sorry, bro. Really? Okay. Yeah. So yeah I, I don't know if I go there. It's, it's a much better screenplay than it is a film. If I'm being honest. Oh, it's, but, but the, see, that's not fair though. It's both, it's, it's both a great no, script and a great film. It's, it's fine. No, it's okay. It's, it doesn't like wow me. And there's a reason why a lot of people don't like necessarily look back on this movie with with that much reverence. And I mean, maybe I, that's see, just... I don't think that's I I think you're misreading that. I think people look back on it as the gay cowboy movie. And it yeah, and it, that's it, that's the issue, though. That's, but that's not the movie's about. fault. No, no. But I, it, I'm surprised that even now it doesn't even it hasn't gained like the, the momentum that it probably should you know, and that's you don't you know, think the movie has gained momentum over the years? No, man. Oh, I I totally disagree with you. I, to- I totally. Disagree. I think the yeah. fact that it's in the National Film Registry, I think, is relevant. Oh, you're you're defending the National Film Registry now? Sure. No, I I th- <laughs> you go back and forth on that shit. No, but we. Come but on. I mean, that is the most recent movie to be inducted. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think it's yeah, I, a cult- I, the, the the it's a culturally significant movie. I think this movie, yeah. and I don't want to put too fine a point on it, is to homosexuality what guess who's coming to dinner was to interracial marriage yeah that's definitely true right so it's a it's a very important sort of like cultural moment sure and that's not to be understated no i know i know (laughs) but it's also incredibly well made i mean there's a reason why it became like the gay cowboy movie yeah no it's very good not not denying that it's definitely either the the best or the second best on the list it's were you bored by it is that the problem it's just not like it's not the most gripping thing. I in a lot of ways it it could have worked as a play. <laughs> it would have been a weird play, but I never like blown away by movies like this entirely. And this it's annoying cuz I really do like the movie. It's quite good, but mm, it didn't it, here's the thing is like usually the films that you know make me 
the films that I'm compelled to induct are the ones that feel impressive, and this one honestly didn't impress me. This was not <laughs> impressive? I think, if anything, this movie is impressive. Not to me. Yeah, that's the thing. I'm not, like, crazy enthused. Like, if we did induct it, I'd be like, okay. Okay, you need to make the argument for The Descent, then, and it better be a damn compelling one. Because all I, I know well, it. listen, let me just say this, dude. Talked about 1987 earlier. I made the argument broadcast news is a culturally significant movie. Yeah. And you said that that movie has no legacy whatsoever. And that's definitely true. For you to make the argument that The Descent, which is, I will give you, a very compelling horror movie with a cult following, Mm. to make the argument that that has a a legacy where something like broadcast news doesn't is insane and is just a misread of culture, Adam Hall. It's a misread of culture. Uh, I'm actually disagreeing with you on this one. I this would say, is this is nuts. This is so infuriating to me. I've had more conversations with just general people about the descent than broadcast news. My you friend. hang out with weirdos. My brother. You hang out <laughs> with weirdos. I don't, dude. My brother just got into a fun fact. My brother just got into a fresh relationship. You want to know what his girlfriend's favorite movie is? The Descent. <laughs> just this random lawyer. She's a fucking lawyer. That's her favorite movie. <laughs> yeah, dude, more people know The Descent than broadcast. That's crazy. That's just I, wrong. No, that's it's not. Just, that's just wrong. Until I run into someone and have a conversation about how much they love broadcast news. You have this incredibly small sample size. I of like don't. A, a Who are you talking about? That like horror movies. <laughs> No, I'm just going Let's off keep in of mind, my by the life way, broadcast experiences. News came out 20 years before The Descent. That's important yeah. to note as well. Yeah. And I'm telling you, more people definitely know Brokeback Mountain than The Descent. Let's, let, yeah, let's, now that, now that let's I stop agree with that altogether. That, I'm not, so in I'm terms not, of cultural significance, yeah, Brokeback now, Mountain is by far and away more culturally significant. Now by we're t- far. We're, we broke off. We were talking about broadcast news, which nobody has seen. No, but. it's just... that. See, that's just not true, dude. <laughs> yes, that's, it is, dude. That's just not it's true. Fine. I don't care if you like the movie. I love the movie, too. But like, let's see what The Descent did at the box office, shall we? Go ahead. I don't care. What does the box make a, office say about this? What does the box office say about this in terms of time? Well, it's a measure of how many people saw the movie uh, over time. It's it says how I many mean, people saw it when it was first released. Well, that's when the majority of people see a movie is when it comes out in the theaters. Yeah, but we're talking about the legacy of a movie which is defined by its lifetime. Descent made. Let's see, thirty-one Probably. million dollars internationally. That's a you know what? Good return on investment. <laughs> Good return. Eight million dollar budget, I think, something along those lines. Okay, fifty-seven million worldwide. Very good. Sure. Broadcast news. (laughs) I don't care about this metric, though. Why are you showing me this metric? Twenty years earlier, sixty-seven million dollars worldwide. Still not that impressive. Oh, it's impressive for the time. You get to adjust for inflation, dude. Uh, that's probably around that's probably around 100 million now nico nobody knows fucking broadcast news it's fine it's a great movie the descent is the least well known of these six movies i mean 40 40 year old virgin is yes, is an iconic true. comedy yeah history of violence i guess maybe not so much but match point and sin city are more well known than descent is no not match point sin city yeah Definitely not match point. This is such a stupid argument because it's just me and you yelling at people have seen it. No, they haven't. When neither of us have information. But I'm telling you, bro. I mean, these I I get in conversations about Brokeback Mountain. People have seen match point. I agree with Sin City. I do not agree with match point even remotely. The Descent. Let's be very clear: is a cult classic horror movie. Yes. 
Brokeback Mountain is a culturally significant. Yeah, I know. Well made, well directed, well acted. I understand you don't like it because it's. I didn't it's, say I don't like it. I'm just not as enthused about it. It feels too it. obvious. It feels obvious to you. But I guess, sometimes yeah. if, when it feels so obvious, that's the decision that you have to make. The dissent is come on, bro. Yeah. That would be up there with put Exelig in the Hall of Fame for the, the Woody Allen <laughs> podcast. Maybe. Yeah. I don't care, dude. Yeah. You have yet to make a compelling case for why the descent should be put in. I just think as a film, it's much because more your brother's good. girlfriend likes it. That's oh, so up. far as the argument that I've heard. Is that it? No, <laughs> that's a completely separate point. Did it no. change movie making? No, it did not. No, I wouldn't necessarily say that uh, Brokeback Mountain changed it. Sure, you think it, did. it changed movie making? Of course it did. Of course. What it did. do you define as like changing movie making? Just like the the representation of certain characters? Sure. Eh. I would say that, yeah. It probably changed that. Yeah, probably? Yeah. yeah. Of course it did. <laughs> of course it did. Yeah. I just think The Descent is a much more well-made movie. That's not, that, see, that's just not, that's not the case. I'm not even, no. I, what did Brokeback Mountain do wrong? I just, I'm missing like, like the, Ang Lee wins Best Director. It's a, it's an incredibly well-directed movie. It's got a great script. It's got a great sense of space. It's got a great sense of characters. Yeah, but I the think performances the performances are terrific. What doesn't it do the well? The has has all of that as well. I mean, my my argument is that not to say that all the other elements in the Brokeback Mountain are bad. It's just like, yeah, the direction's good and the cinematography's good and all that other stuff. The character the character work is the most noteworthy thing about the movie. And everything else, the music's but good, that, but No, but it's not the most noteworthy thing. It is the movie. Yeah. It is the movie. It's not the no. most noteworthy part of it. Nico, Just like the will, violence and scares we, are the most no. We will never, the we will never agree with this. I, I take everything into consideration. There's the reason why I don't love The Dark Knight as much as you. Where it's like Heath Ledger's the movie, and everything else is just no. But good. it's not the performances; it's the characters themselves. They're also well drawn. They're not just well performed. Yeah. They're well drawn. Then I'll read a book. I'll, I'll go to a play. I don't care. Oh, stop it. I don't care. Like, I'm, I'm looking no, at now, all the no, other... See, now, no, honestly, now what you're doing is you're being, you're being needlessly obtuse about this. You're not acknowledging <laughs> no, that d- you are. You are. You gotta, li- you gotta listen to... I'm just talking about... <laughs> you're making mental gymnastics to, to justify your, your fucking... Your pigs in a cave movie to be the... <laughs> come on. I'll give you that it is, it is a compelling horror movie, but let's not go... Let's not do backflips about this. Mm-hmm. No. No, I'm just saying, like, from a directorial standpoint, from a production standpoint, I mean, from cinematography, sound, everything that makes movies what they are, I'm a little more impressed by The Descent. And Brokeback Mountain, like, you know, checks off the boxes. Like, I think it, it's good in all respects. It's just, that's what I'm saying. Like, the direction's not as impressive to me. Uh, the production's not. The editing isn't. The music isn't. The cinematography isn't. The atmosphere and setting is not. It's just good. It's all good, but we're measuring this on on weird metrics where it's like I like both things, but I'm for again we're we're roping back around to this. I'm forced to uh, advocate on the side of another thing. I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm not budging. I I can't <laughs> believe that Brokeback Mountain is the hill that I'm dying on because it's not like it's one of my favorite movies ever made. I yeah. I, I like it a lot. I acknowledge it as a masterpiece, but like a masterpiece. Yeah, I, I, I do. I, I think it is. I think it is. Uh, I don't think I'll ever consider and it. I, I don't know but. why I feel such a need to defend it vigorously, but now this is where I found myself. So <laughs> listen, I am not budging. So either we pick something else on the list that 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 acts as a compromise 
Or 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 you got to, you know, you got to figure it's out a an, deal that we're going to make here because well, I'm not budging the, on this. The problem with my argument that is it's entirely based on quality here. Correct. That's the thing. Yes. So, yeah. Legacy, I don't even know. I mean, probably Brookback Mountain probably has the greater legacy. So. <laughs> what are we do doing you, here, boss? Do you, do you want to induct Brookback Mountain? You can, I, I do. I, I do want to induct Brookback Mountain. Yes. That's if you want to do that. That's okay. Yeah, whatever. You sure? Yeah, it's again <laughs> kind of, kind of the boring answer, but like fine. Sometimes the boring answer is the correct one. I guess so. Yeah. Brokeback Mountain, welcome to the movie hall. Of Fame. <laughs> I'm tired. Yeesh. I'm tired. I'm tired with you. I'm, re- <laughs> I'm. I am so frustrated because you know why, Adam? It's never Wh- enough. What's never it's enough? Never enough for you. <laughs> I watched a fucking pigs in a cave movie for two hours last night. Pigs in a cave? They're not pigs, Nico. I was so terrified last night. <laughs> That's a good thing. I was. I was pushed to my limit, and That's I did good- it for you. And I acknowledged it was good. <laughs> I did it for you, but you will never be satisfied. You should watch more Harry Potter movies. <laughs> That'll be satisfied. Unbelievable. Listen, <laughs> if you let me retroactively induct broadcast news into the movie hall of fame, broadcast news has no place in the movie hall of fame and neither does the descent. Full Let's be very stop. clear about this. That's fine. But broadcast news definitely has no place in the movie hall of fame. As much as I like that movie, I have to reiterate. <laughs> But that's a bad year. We can't. We got to forget. Nineteen eighty-seven. We were like, wait a second, that was wrong. So, all right, let's draft, shall we? What are we doing? Nineteen sixty-nine. Oh yeah. Nineteen sixty-nine. Let's uh, see what we got here. <laughs> I apologize to listeners for fighting so oh, much. By the way, that's okay. Maybe they enjoyed it. I hope they did too. <laughs> I'll go first. And I will draft Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Uh, Midnight Cowboy. Sounds about right. Uh, I will put Easy Rider in there, even though I have yet to see the movie. Oh, okay. That's a, That'll be a fun conversation. Because I have thoughts on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Wild Bunch. Okay. I am going to nominate another movie that I've never seen. And it's called Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. Cause what I the heck? We should see that. What is this one? You've never heard of Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice? Nope. Oh, yeah. Big, big 60s movie. 60s oh. comedy. <clears throat> Interesting. I'm surprised yeah, you've never heard of it. Okay. Never heard of it once in my entire life. Well, there you go. Oh boy. Oh boy. What the hell do we have? So how many is that? Five? Yeah. And how many do you need to watch? Uh, I need to watch Easy Rider, Wild Bunch, and Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. All right. There's so many Westerns. Jesus Christ. Yeah. A lot of them. Oh my God. What the fuck? Like, cause a lot of these, like I'm not like fully aware of, I've been told I should watch Kess. Oh, right. Okay. I'm not, but I don't know anything about that one, you know? Yeah, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. What the hell? Uh, should I just do it? 
Uh, uh, oh, God, that looks like a slog. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Look, if you don't feel strongly about any of them, we can leave it at five. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going to say I'm really not. I mean, the Italian job, I've also never seen that, but like whatever. Hello, Dolly. True Grit, I guess. Oh, hello, that's the bad Hello, Dolly. That's the one that killed the Hollywood musical. Until Mamma Mia brought it back from the dead. Yes. Okay. Thank God. I love Mamma Mia. <laughs> I'm good with five if you are, unless you really want to watch True Grit. No, let's let's just do five, honestly. Okay. There are so many westerns. Yeah. What the hell? Jesus Christ, there's a lot. Yeah. All right. Well, well sticking to that. There we go. I think it's a two horse race anyway, but we'll see. Oh, it's, for me, it's pretty freaking obvious, which should be the winner. Really? Oh, yeah, dude. It's not even close. I think, for me, it's between two, but we'll talk about it. I, I assume they're the same, too. Probably. Yeah, okay. So, Butch Cassidy, Easy Rider, Midnight Cowboy, Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, and uh, and the Wild Bunch. Those are the five. Mm-hmm. You have some. watching. You have a bunch. You Can't have wait. a bunch. Can't wait. Yeah. Got to watch a Peckinpah film. Yeah, we'll see. You like The Wild Bunch, right? Oh, yeah. I really like The Wild Bunch. Cool. That's a podcast. Yeah. Adam, I'm sorry for yelling at you. It's okay, Dico. I'm not really sorry. I, I don't forgive you. I don't forgive you anyway. I, I just said think. that. Yeah, I just, yeah. said. <laughs> just to be nice. Yes. <laughs> I still, I, I don't think I have a quote. I have like a line that's not really a quote that it's something that nobody's ever heard in their life unless they've seen the movie. So there is a plane very low. Whoa. That was, what? that was that I, a plane just flew over my house and it was incredibly low and it freaked Did you me see out. it? No, because I'm, I'm, I'm sitting down and I, I, I need to look out my window, but Holy shit. Oh, I'm okay. No. People I'm okay. People. It's about to be Crunk. Donnie Darko in this shit. <laughs> I am actually afraid of that. That's like a fear that I have. That a plane I don't know why. Crash into your room? It's ridiculous. I understand, but like, there's something about that that just kind of freaks me out. Yeah. Well, there you go. I, I hope you sleep soundly tonight, and that I'll no planes fine. crash into your home. I'll sleep. I'll, I'll go to sleep. I'll, I'll watch the descent, and then I'll go to bed. Okay. <laughs> Until next time. <laughs> How do you fuck that up? How do you fuck that up? <laughs>